Ahoy, everyone! Welcome to episode 3 of our Delta Green campaign. Tonight, the conspiracy shifts into the next gear as our agents encounter danger unlike anything they've seen before. Without further ado, let us jump into Discord and greet our agents. Dale should uh, add in some alerts though for subscribers. Yes, I, I definitely should. Ah. Have. <laughs> well, hello there. Hello okay, there. Hello. Before we begin, I want to ask a question. Yep. How often does the star of uh, Aldebaran uh, come to pass? Um, how how you even spell that? <laughs> the star of Aldebaran comes to pass, I think, once or twice a year. Not very often. Uh, Alright, so that puts that spell out, because I, I, I was having a look over the Son of Hasta, and I could ah, have a lot yes. of fun with that. Yeah, um... And M2, th M2 said, how do you expect to do that? Ah, well, it's in the constellation Taurus, so it would roughly be visible in the sky between April and May, so... That'd be. Yeah. But how are we tonight, Agents? We are good. Ready to go insane. How is our <laughs> Keeper? The Keeper is good and he's ready to send you on your next operation, Episode 3. A victim and hello, of the Strand family. <laughs> A victim of the art. February 1st, uh. 1999. The New Year. It's already been several months since your nightmarish first operation for Delta Green, and the unfortunate death of Dr. Krillin Temporary. Things have been relatively quiet since then, and your life has returned to a facade of normality, save for the constant nightmares that you were plagued of the eye of Azathoth, of Krillin being torn limb from limb. So what has everyone been doing since that fateful operation? Nox Smolder, how have you spent the last few months? Um... Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly that's the thing we're you... supposed to do. Yeah, that's the thing we're supposed to do, isn't it? Uh, I thought I thought you were going to start with other pe people because I'm just now bringing up ah. his character sheet. <laughs> because I know you've learned. I know that gazing upon Azathoth and getting away with your sanity mostly intact granted you some forbidden knowledge. And so I assume you've spent the last few months in between your normal work as an FBI agent, trying to make sense of the knowledge you gleaned from this unspeakable encounter. Yes, um... Reading all the pros and cons of the spells while, I guess, being haunted every night of, um... Images of the blind idiot god. Yes, and knowing that... That even though you pierced the veil of reality, you still have no clue what happened to your brother. I, I will find out what happened to my baby brother. Next, Vin uh, next we have 
played by M2, Stanley Baird, the tech analyst. How have you spent the last few months since your first night at the opera? Um, Stanley's just been mostly trying to bury himself in his work to try and get past the horrible and untimely death of his, uh, well, I suppose he was sort of a friend. We worked in the same sort of area, but, uh, yeah, seeing uh, old Krill and Temporary by the dust did not uh, sit too well with him, so he's just trying to work on stuff, you know, was signed on for this, for, like, alien spotting and whatnot, not so much the, uh, eldritch abominations in different realities, but, you know, you gotta try and work through, because we're kind of too deep now to go back. So he's just trawling internet mm-hmm. message boards about nut jobs. Also, been keeping a close eye on the uh, reporter guys that, uh, well, ah, the yes. people that the reporters that we came across last time. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. catching the odd episode of Phenomenex. And they seem to have not followed up much on what happened last time, but they do make references in a few episodes about FBI agents being involved in a shadowy cover-up, and they do seem to think, especially after last time, that they may be onto something. And Stanley, where are you up to in Pokemon? Of course, the most important question. <laughs> um, well, in his off time, he's been trying to grind up to deal with Sabrina since Alakazam in Gen 1 is an absolute <laughs> fucking nightmare. Much like every other aspect of his life at the moment. <laughs> yes. And finally, played by Smithy, our other surviving member of the original cell, Dr. H.G. King, our forensic anthropologist. What have you been doing since the previous operation? Well, since uh, the other good doctor did not make it back, there was a lot of extra work that needed to be uh, assessed in the lab. Uh, And uh, continuing his uh, hard work, trying to make sure that his death wasn't in vain, so... Yes, you pretty much had a doubled workload in addition to your own research and reading about the occult and the supernatural. Yeah. Very well. So he's been very busy. So our story begins, as per usual, in the Phoenix, Arizona field branch, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Things have been relatively quiet. The holiday period is finally over, and the slight uptick in crime that occurs over the Christmas and New Year period is starting to slowly taper away. We open in with Stanley Baird sitting there at one of his many, many computer screens in the room he affectionately calls his computer dungeon. You're just browsing, lazily browsing through an Excel spreadsheet of various phone numbers, trying to get to the bottom of uh, a quite boring, if I'm to be honest, case involving involving some fraudulent identity theft uh, over the phone that has occurred in recent weeks. As you complete this... You're occasionally taking a break, picking up your Game Boy, and grinding away in the patch of grass outside Saffron City. You've captured a Kadabra, and 
you've realized that the best way to fight Psychic is with Psychic. So you're just grinding it up, intending to brute force your way through Sabrina. You're also spending some time occasionally switching between the Conspiracy Theorist message boards and also a couple of online gaming message boards as with the new year came news of a new Pokemon game with 100 creatures oh. to collect. And as you're browsing, as you're browsing the pre-release photos of all of Gen 2's monsters, your computer goes and a little red icon appears above your email inbox. Uh, yeah, here we go again. As soon as you see the, as soon as you see the icon, you have a feeling deep within your heart. It's almost as if you know what this email is going to contain. Okay. So, do you have anything to say as you click the icon and open the email? Uh, oh, sorry, M2 didn't hear that. You have to say again. Yeah, I was going to say, just like, just very briefly, just takes glasses off, just like, drains his eyes, and just, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, of course. So I pop up the email in Discord. I'm just going to make it visible for everyone on stream. So. Uh, this is the email. It says, well, first of all, it is from a, an address you've never seen before that appears to be <coughs> a random jumble of letters and numbers. J-D-O-S-P-M at 1123891.ru The subject is simply an invitation to the opera. It reads... This email is to confirm your booking for tomorrow night's event. Your tickets may be collected at the usual location. Please RSVP with your event organiser at the location enclosed within the package. We look forward to seeing you. Alphonse Event Services. It ends with a simple but familiar image, that of a green triangle. Uh, let me some of the troops, I guess. God damn. You quickly assemble the others, show them the email, and tell them that it appears you're once again being thrown straight into the fire. Knock Smolder, H.G. King. Do you have any words or pertinent reactions to realising that once again you're about to risk your lives? <laughs> Uh, one step closer uh, to finding my brother. HG just makes a bunch of notes and leaves them just since he's now seen one of the doctors already go, so he's left notes for anyone else to continue the work. Ah, good idea. Uh, should he not make it? Good idea. You've compiled a list of notes of what to do. You leave this, leave this in your lab in the event that you do not return. And so, Stanley, the email mentioned that your tickets may be collected at the usual location. I'd like you to make an intelligence check to try to remember what this place may be. Intelligence, where my D10's at. 
That's going to be a uh, just a regular pass. Before you yep. step and start the knife. Usual location. You've only been on one prior operation, but there is only one place that it could be. That old run-down post office on the edge of downtown Phoenix, in that small, badly maintained post box, the green triangle etched on the door, with the broken security camera overlooking the shadowy alleyway. And so, you quickly tell the others that that's your destination. And so, as uh, as Sergeant uh, as Special Agent Knox Smolder heads off to once again check out uh, check out one of the bureau's cars for the journey, what do you all what preparations do you guys make before you leave? Um, dur- during my um time of like these guys getting ready um i come to a moment of realization yep. and won't be re- revealed till later but i have picked my spell ah so the forbidden oh, knowledge has finally coalesced within your mind yep. and become clear and you smile as you realize you may just have an opportunity to put it to the test wait wait uh, i'm gonna say what it is i'm gonna use one of the alternate names but only dare will know what it is yep the rock the right of desolation Ooh, lovely. That just sounds <laughs> like it's gonna end well. H.G. <laughs> King and Stanley, as you get ready for another night at the opera, what preparations do you make? What do you bring along? Is there anything you requisition or purchase in the last minutes? Um, so obviously the field, um, field analysis kit sort of thing. So if yep. we do find anything... Or if we can't get back, because yeah, and also the uh, the triage kit. So you never know. That's that's a good idea. Um, and you have a first aid kit, Doctor King. I've got the the triage kit that I yes. got. And yes, that's still got supplies in it, so that's fine. Yeah, has, hasn't hasn't been used hasn't yet. Been used yet. And Stanley, anything in particular you would like to bring along yeah. aside from your usual? Apart from my usual kit, there is one addition to uh, my uh, my supplies. I uh, may have taken a leaf out of my uh, former colleague's arsenal uh, and gotten myself a taser. Just in the mm. off chance. I mean, it would have been nice to have tried to grab his, but you know, you know, it's kind of been lost in an alternate dimension, so yes. <laughs> kind of makes that one hard to get a hand on. And with the generous uh, op bonuses that Delta Green gives, you had more than enough money to purchase that. So... Hey, do we get paid again? Um, you got paid last time. You got a handful of money. Um, oh, oh yeah, that's that's right. I'm looking at my yes. cash now. <laughs> yes. This still counts as a, as a handgun, right? Yeah, Taser still uses the yeah, handgun firearm. Yeah, fire yeah that's what I figured. Um, just need to quickly check what the damage and range is on that one. So I should have done this in before time, yeah, before yes. we start tonight. But uh, So Nox Smolder, was there any, in addition to your new knowledge, were there any items you'd like to requisition or purchase? Uh, I... Oh crap, I can't believe I haven't got this sooner. I would like to get... um. Because we can do do this now. Yep. Proper night vision goggles. <laughs> ah, a set of night vision goggles. 
a very useful purchase, and I would like you to... Oh, I actually have done that. <laughs> I would like you <laughs> to please uh, make... Uh, let me work out what check would be good for that. I would like you to please make a... Uh, we shall say... That's military hardware. Um, so I would like you to please make a law check to try to requisition uh, some goggles through military channels. Alright, that is a 20, which is a pass. Lovely. So, there is a, there's a legal loophole for FBI agents that you're aware of that allows you to access hardware that isn't really available to civilians as long as you can justify its use on an operation. You are able to do this, and you may purchase a pair of night vision goggles for $250. Can I get a backup, uh, backup battery for it? <laughs> Very well. So the goggles plus an additional battery will cost $350 altogether. Easy done. Lovely. And now, Nox, as you pack your, uh, as you pack your night vision goggles into your briefcase and begin to walk down to the uh, bureau's parking garage, you hear footsteps behind you and the familiar sound of a throat being cleared. <coughs> Turn around to find yourself face to face once again with your boss, Special Agent Robert. Special Agent Patrick, sorry. And based on the thin line that would usually be his mouth, he is incensed. He wastes no time. He says, Reassigned again, Smolder. Explain what the hell is happening. Um, hold on. First, I'm going to look at what's because I have to know what I can do. <laughs> All right. Oh, I have fast talk. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um... Shit, now I had something now I do. Uh, yeah, we're just, uh, just being called out for a, um, family matter. Um, I've come across some... Oh, I was gonna say, Tingling, we've been saying reassigned, so we have to give them a reason for what we're being reassigned for. Yeah, you can try to get more information out of him, find out exactly what he's pissed off about. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. You... Feign confusion, he says, Don't play dumb with me, Knox. I was just about to call you to my office to assign you to that damn... to that damn identity theft case. Email comes through. Someone's gone over my head again, and they've assigned you to the Long Island branch office. Apparently, they need a behavioral expert. First I hear about it, and... You warned me, you told me last time that it wouldn't be happening again. He folds his arms, leans up against the grey brick wall, and he says, You want to explain to me what's really going on? Oh, boss, what, what can I say? Um, I'm just really good at what, uh, what I do, and they haven't got any other agents that they can rely on. Make a fast talk check, please. Like that. That is a 18, which is a hard pass. He frowns and shakes his head, and he says, Last time this happened, 
We damn near lost one of we damn lost one of the lab techs. He says somebody seems to want to continuously put you and the tech analyst and our best coroner in dangerous situations. I don't know what to tell you, tell you, boss. Um, they seem they seem to like us and. We're really good at what we do, and someone's got to keep these knuckleheads in line. Make an appearance check with advantage, please. Ooh, that I can do. Uh, do I have... Fancy. Uh, what's my appearance sitting at? 17. Uh, that <laughs> is... Oh, thank God. That, that's with advantage. That was 77. <laughs> yeah, but he's 7. And that is 26. So yep. that's a hard Lovely. appearance pass. He thinks for a moment makes a tisk 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 sound and mutters something under his breath and then he slams his fist behind him against smashing it against the brick wall he just looks at you shakes his head and he says something tells me this ain't gonna end well and then he without another word he just turns his back to you storms away down the hallway towards the cafeteria Oh, we got away with it again. <laughs> you, know, you think how you can't help but think, however, that the more this happens, the more questions he asks, the more of a problem he's going to become. You think about how you'll deal with him later as you make your way into the parking garage, where the other two are already waiting, leaning against the car. You unlock the car doors, and all of you climb into the vehicle. As Nox. we come in, uh, yep. Stanley sort of just looked over at Nox and go, Let me guess, boss chewed your ass there again? Yeah, yeah, he just, he do doesn't like a, the best agents going off willy-nilly again. Oh, do you actually say best? I'm gonna have to ask for a raise next time if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> you all settle into the vehicle. Nox inserts the key in the ignition, turns on the engine, and as it purrs, guides the car slowly out of the parking lot onto the still snowy streets of downtown Phoenix. Driving the car through the last remaining dregs of ice and slush that still litter the, litter the ground in, the, in this late winter month. I would like Nox Mulder to please make a navigate check if he can, or Wait. someone else if they or someone else if they have it. That's right. I believe we're back to where we started with having absolutely no one that can oh, use navigate. Oh, yeah, yes. that's right. The one person that had navigate died. <laughs> yeah, and the other one who has it doesn't work here. Yeah, but right. that part's not entirely bad. That dude was a weirdo. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, it's okay. That was a one. Oh, wow. So you remember you remember how to get to the post office quick fast. You make waste no time driving through downtown Phoenix, taking all of the streets that are light on traffic, and soon you'll find yourself once again in that run-down ratty neighborhood, parking in front of the post office, which, because you made good time, is open. And so 
You don't have to pick the lock on the post box this time. All you have to do yeah. is ask for your mail. So you park in the small parking lot beside the post office. Parallel parking in between a white panel van and a cream-coloured small hatchback. And then you all enter the post office. It's just before lunch. This would ordinarily be a busy time for a post office. But in this part of town... In, in this part of town, busy means that there's only maybe three or four people lining up. So who would like to do the talking? Uh, M2, go nuts. Mm, no, fair enough, fair enough. Now, is it actually is the post box in our name, or is it like some secret code we need to do this, or am I just talking and hoping? You don't know. That's why you've got to think what to say. So, uh. you line up for a few moments. The three people in front of you are quickly served. Finally, it's your yeah. turn. You stand in front of the counter. The curly, blonde-haired woman smiles. Her lipstick perhaps a bit overdone. And she says, what can I do for you today? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, here to pick up some mail for... Uh... Yeah, Alphonse Event Services. She nods. She says, Alphonse Event Services. Ah, right. I know the box. Uh, I'll be with you very shortly. She nods. It appears you spoke the correct code word. She Ooh. disappears out through a little door behind the counter. And you sigh with relief. A few minutes later, she comes back and hands you a big yellow envelope. A little green triangle is drawn in the top right corner and it is simply addressed to it is simply addressed to Stanley care of Alphonse event services. Alrighty then. Shall we uh, jump back to the cut open this one boys? I think yeah so. probably you a good idea. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yep. You thank the woman for her time, head back out to the car. You climb in, and before, before Knox turns on the engine, you tear open the yellow envelope, turn it upside down, and three airline tickets and a post-it note drop down onto your lap. The three airline tickets are all booked in your name. It is a flight from Phoenix, Arizona to LaGuardia Airport in New York City, and the flight leaves in just under 30 minutes. Hey, you gotta cut a little closer next time? <laughs> you turn your attention to the small post-it note, which is completely blank, save for a string of handwritten numbers. like everyone to please make intelligence checks. Uh, oh, can I push that? Uh, yes, you can. Uh, that's a pass for me. That's a 19, pass. which I believe is no, just a hard pass. Pass for me, 36. Yep. So you recognize, you all recognize the numbers fairly easily. It's a set of coordinates. Presumably, this is the location where you were supposed to uh, RSVP with your event 
coordinator. You could look it up when you get to your destination, or if you think if you think it might save time now, uh, feel free to uh, feel free to get Stanley to pull out his laptop and look up these coordinates. Okay, I just do that on the way to the airport, or yeah, you could do that. Yeah, probably. Alright. You grab your laptop, Stanley. You unfold it and place it on your lap. You reach into your bag of kit and pull out uh, what those in the modern day would recognise as a USB dongle. But in 1999, it is a cutting-edge piece of tech. It allows oh, you yeah. to pick up an internet connection uh, anywhere that's covered by a cell tower. And although it is extremely slow, as Wi-Fi hasn't been invented yet, it will do what you need it to do. So you plug it in, log into your internet account, and begin to search up the coordinates. Please make a computer use check. Oh, yeah. That's something you can do. Oh, absolutely. Come on, happy days. That's a 29, which, according to my numbers, is a hard pass. Hard pass? The search. Clue is just driving right. I was going to yeah. say, Clue we're driving right next to a cell tower as I make this call. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the search only takes about 10 minutes. Most of this 10 minutes is just getting the internet site to load up. <laughs> but you quickly determine that these coordinates are pointing you to the FBI branch office in Long Island, New York. Hmm. And, of course, now that you know where it is, this will definitely save some time when you get there. Uh, I would like, uh, I would like Nox Smolder to please make a drive check to see if you can get to the airport on time. Jesus Christ, I don't even have a drive. Uh, I think I might have to put some um, skill points into, into drive this. later. Yep. Yeah, uh, that is a. Can I spend six life points to make that? You pass? sure That's can. 26. Oh my god. You know where the airport is, it's just a matter of whether or not you'll get stuck in traffic. Luckily, you appear to have chosen the correct uh, streets and byways today, as you make quick time and arrive in the airport terminal. With 10 minutes to spare, you quickly check yourselves in, hand over your tickets, are ushered through customs, and 10 minutes later, you are in the air. Six hours later, you are climbing out of a rental car in the parking lot of the Long Island Regional FBI office. You take a look at your surroundings. This FBI office is smaller than the one in Phoenix. It is only a simple two-story brick building that would be almost unremarkable were it not for the tall iron fence enclosing around the parking lot and the big white sign hanging from the gates with the Bureau's logo on it. The surrounding streets are quiet and rural, and snow-covered trees cast ominous shadows over the parking lot. You walk in to reception, and you hear 
A bell rings as the door shuts behind you. A female agent brushes a lock of black hair out of her face as she looks up from the computer behind the reception desk. She smiles and she immediately, immediately offers assistance. Uh, special agent uh, Smolder, Baird, and King, I take it? She nods, she says, yes, uh, you're listed right here as being expected, uh, ten minutes ago, actually. You've made quite good time. Uh, everyone's already waiting for you. Uh, briefing room two, if you please. She points towards a hallway to the right, leading off the lobby, and at the end of it you can see a glass door. Uh, with a large number two imprinted on it, right at the end. Alright, shall we uh, game face it on? Let's get this done. Yep, I uh, don't want to ask her any questions about, your, about what you're about to walk into, or you're just going to put game faces on and play it as it comes. Um... Good question. What does anyone else? Does anyone else have any questions? Because I got, we got nothing. Yeah, we'll take it as it comes. Very yeah. well. You nod to her in thanks. You make your way down the hallway, passing a couple of shut office doors with nameplates on them, uh, with nameplates on them indicating that the agents here specialize in primarily uh, serial. Vo serial murder and unsolved disappearances. And then you reach the door to briefing room number two. You can see through the glass door. The room on the other side is a wide open, wide open conference room, primarily taken up by a wooden marbled wall and a large glass window that runs parallel to the table. You can see two. You can see at least three people waiting inside. One of them you already recognise: a dark-skinned African-American woman. Her hair in uh, her hair in tidy dreadlocks. You know her as Miss Green. The other two you've not seen before: middle-aged-looking man in a suit and sunglasses, and and very old-looking man, maybe in his 70s or 80s, with wiry grey and white hair in a wheelchair, with a machine connected to him that helps him breathe, making a loud Darth Vader-esque <sighs> with each breath he takes. Stanley sees this and just says, okay, okay, no, no Star Wars jokes, but leave it at the door. <laughs> <laughs> You push open the door and file into the briefing room. All three of the agents look at you. Miss Green smiles and she gestures towards the table, inviting you to take a seat. Won't you gentlemen have a seat? Yes. Sure. Sure. Take seats. You, you take your seats and wait and wait for the briefing to begin. Do any of you say anything, or are you waiting for them to speak first? Uh, 
HG just has a look around the room and just tries to get a bit of a judge of what like the characters of the different people. Um, I'd like HG to make a psychology check, please. Sure thing. Can I push that? Yes, you can. Uh, so it sounded like he just yeeted your dice at the desk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a fail. Look around at the three people. It's hard to get a read on them. Miss Green seems as mysterious and stoic as usual. The standing agent, the one with the sunglasses, seems as if he's almost fidgety or something. And the man, old man in the wheelchair just seems to be sizing the three of you up with a look of vague curiosity on his face. Miss Green clears her throat. She says, uh, thank you for coming, and we do appreciate you being on time. I'd like to know why we keep getting called out because I can't keep coming up with excuses. The boss is really riding my ass on this. She exchanges a glance with the old man in the wheelchair and he gives her a look. A look that says something you can't quite make out. She turns back to you, folds her arms and says, "Uh, Well, unfortunately... All I can say is that Ace, someone in A-Cell, seems to be very impressed with what you've done so far, and seems to believe you're the best, you're the agent's best suited to the type of operation that we're about to send you on. Okay, go on. She says, we have gone through official channels to have you reassigned to these investigations. Everything should be above board. For your boss, of course, if he's really going to ask too many questions, well, that might be up to you to sort out. <laughs> she gestures to the man next to her with the sunglasses. She, sa- she says, this is uh, Special Agent Thomas Clark. Uh, he's an instructor in charge of uh, behavioral analysis at Quantico in Maryland and, uh, sorry, Virginia. She points to the man in the wheelchair. She says, and this is, uh, this is Agent Harkin, one of the higher-ups from A-Cell. Oh! Oh Oh, my god! Wow, he did not age well. He is, she says, he is, well, he's curious to see how you handle this operation after he heard several factors that might be involved. She looks over at him. He merely nods and takes a deep breath. She claps her hands and she says, Well, Special Agent Clark, I'll leave it up to you. Clark steps forwards. He clears his throats. He says, Yes, uh, as Miss Green already said, I'm Special Agent Clark. I'm a friendly with Delta Green. I've been involved in six operations over the years. And, uh, well, this case essentially fell into my lap. Originally started as an investigation headed by uh, the 
headed by the uh, local police. They got stumped, called in the FBI for help. Local FBI found themselves just as stumped, and then it ended up in the database over at Quantico. I noticed some things didn't quite add up, and I decided to get the group involved. He pulls out from his coat uh, a little black, uh, little black remote control, and he presses a button on it. There's a click, and a projector on the le on the end of the table right in front of him whirs to life, projecting onto the wall behind him the image of a smiling grey-haired man with uh, thick scholarly glasses. He says, This is Carl Moretti, local dentist of the town of Glenridge. He was found murdered approximately 30 days ago. It was the first murder in five years in the town of Glenridge, and it seems to have started quite a stir. The victim was identified as Carl Moretti through dental analysis and fingerprints. He was found in a culvert near the edge of the Great Peconic Bay, just inside a small park. His body was found extensively mutilated, and the exact cause of death could not be pinned down by the medical examiner. Moretti's spine had been forcibly removed from his torso, and was never recovered. The head what was the found... fuck? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I was going to say sorry. It didn't yeah, that's just Stanley's... Midstream, but yeah, just, yeah, just Stanley under his breath. It's just like, what the fuck? His head was found a small distance from the scene, missing its lower jaw. Moretti was a family man, professional, with no enemies. Despite an investigation, the Glenridge Police Department came up empty-handed. He surveys the room for a moment and then presses the button on the controller. There is another click, and Moretti's photo is replaced by a picture of a woman with shoulder-length brown hair. The wrinkles on her face betray her age as being roughly early 40s. He says, The second murder occurred ten days later. <coughs> this time, the victim was a local librarian at Glenridge High School, Vanessa Hatton. Her body was discovered by groundskeepers early in the morning, hanging from the branches of an oak tree at the school. The mutilation of her body resembled that of Dr. Moretti. Hatfin's spine had also been removed, as had her head. This time, however, the head was not recovered. The Glenridge PD did what they could to keep the murder's details from the press, but somehow the details became public knowledge that two murders with similar circumstances had occurred and rumblings quickly quickly began to pop up suggesting a serial offender I will say the physical evidence was strange to say the least he pauses for a moment frowns and he says no typical samples of the perpetrator's hair skin blood saliva or bite indentations could be found on the victims Samples of tissue taken from underneath fingernails proved to be a pulpy grey substance which defied analysis. It's this substance which actually led to me uh, alerting the organisation to this case. 
the local medical examiner could only say that the substance was an unidentifiable complex organic polymer, I believe the report said. The fact that Hatfin's body was recovered 12 metres up a tree was also another strange consideration. It was clear to all the police involved in the investigation uh, that the body had not been dragged up the tree. Photos of the crime scene indicated no evidence of blood or hair on the trunk beneath, and no evidence of rigging in the trees. Further examination, I'm told, revealed that the Moretti body had suffered great blunt force trauma consistent with a fall from a great height, just like the Hatman body. The local medical examiner wrote in his report that he hypothesizes the bodies are being dumped at night from some sort of aircraft. He pauses to give you a moment to ask any questions that may have formed. Would any of that have, like, being someone who examines like bodies, would that have sparked any remembering or anything from the past or um. any? I'd like you to make an education check, please. Uh, so 003, that, that's just three, is it? Yeah. Yep, so then that's an extreme pass, yes. So, you, in your past, have actually examined bodies that were found slung in trees. In this case, it turned out that they'd been attacked by wild animals. Uh bears, to be precise, who had somehow uh, flung the remains away and gotten them miraculously slung over a low-lying branch. And you immediately think of this, but 12 metres high up in a tree would be way too high for a bear to fling a body. And that's not usual behaviour for bears anyway. Hmm. Agent Clark clears his throat and continues. Well, the press has learned about these killings, and Glenridge has become kind of famous at the moment. Both the New York Post and the Daily News have sent at least one correspondent each to the town to keep tabs on the investigation, and the crackhead and our favourite crackpots from Phenomenex have also been sighted in the area. Just an immediate groan from Smolder. Yeah. His family's just sort of sitting there sweating at the moment, just all he gets in his head is just, you know, just have, like, some sort of ex you know, fucking nightmare Jack the Ripper type bucket going around tearing people's bleeds to find out what the actual shit yeah. the new The press have apparently dubbed the killer the Glenridge Chiropractor. Ha! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not gonna lie, that was that one's good. That one's good. God. Yeah. The next Hell. The next and for the moment the final murder occurred only five days ago. He clicks his remote control again and a what seems to be a school photo of a teenage of a pretty teenage girl, short blonde hair, white pearl white teeth, pretty smile. Typical cheerleader type appears on the screen. Lauren Harrogate was a popular cheerleader at Glenridge High School. Uh, she was snatched from the second story of her house by an unknown assailant who burst through a French door from a balcony of her room, setting off an alarm and alerting the police. Her mother, the only witness to the incident, 
has been completely catatonic since the attack, incapable of communication. Mrs. Harrogate had suffered from depression before the incident. It is believed that the trauma of her daughter's death has pushed her over the edge. She has now been committed to the care of Swansea Psychiatric Institute near Montauk, Long Island. Lauren Harrogate's body was located early the next morning by police helicopters hanging nearly 20 metres up on a large electrical tower near State Highway 31 in the north end of town. The mutilations matched the other two victims and again the strange grey polymer was found beneath her fingernails. Much like Miss Hatburn, Lauren Harrogate's head was not discovered. The Glenridge police asked the FBI for help, and that's where I came in. He smiles. He says, now, we appear to have two main objectives in this case. The first is to determine the true nature of these killings, determine whether or not it is supernatural, and if it is, to uh, neutralize it. The second is to concoct a mundane explanation that will let the Glenridge police close this case without further exposure to the unnatural. Miss Green and I, and Agent Harkin here, he looks over at Agent Harkin who replies with another deep breath, will be here to assist. However, you may only contact us over the phone to discuss legitimate FBI matters. We've received troubling reports that other parties may be interested in this case, and we would like to make sure that we do not give them any intel that they can latch onto. If you would like us to assist directly, you must come here to the FBI branch office and speak to us face to face. He gestures. Uh, yep, go ahead. Do we know, do we know who Agent Harkin is? Miss Green vaguely mentioned him as being someone who helped grow the agency when she recruited you, but aside from that, you don't know who he is and okay. don't know any of his particular accomplishments. Miss yeah, Green, this is a complete mystery. Miss yep. Green places a hand on her hip and she says, "Well, you have your marching orders. Glenridge is about a two-hour drive from here, so I suggest you get going." Unless there are any final questions you would like to field. She looks over the room. Um. Um. I did have something about the head. Uh, so the bodies were found with, um. You said the head would disappear, uh, disappear, but, um. Was there any blood steps or, uh, footprints or anything? Agent Clark frowns. He says, Only the dentist. Uh, only the dentist, Dr. Moretti, actually had his head located. All three corpses were found dismembered, but only one head was found. There were no footprints or anything at the site to suggest that anyone carried the heads away. And how the heads were carried away, and where the two undiscovered heads may presently be, is unknown to us. The police have more detailed descriptions of the crime scenes uh, over in the police station itself, and I do suggest you check them out when you arrive in Glenridge. 
Any more questions? Uh, is there anything we should do in case the press gets involved again? We know those guys were pretty hardcore last time we met them, and basically, we don't as annoying as they are with their crackpot theories. We don't really want any of these guys going down the same way as they did last time. They both look at Agent Harkin, who shoots them a strange look that seems to say something once again. Miss Green bites her lower lip and she says, Unless they approach you directly, try to ignore them. After what happened last time, they probably won't be very willing to talk to you. They'll probably try to keep things on the down low. That said, we suspect somebody is feeding them information. And, if you have to take drastic measures to limit their exposure to the unnatural, then Agent Harkin has given you clearance. Fantastic. Well, the last thing I want to do is have small unnecessary deaths in my hand. The agents frown, and then... Both Clark and Miss Green wish you good luck as Agent Harkin simply looks on from his wheelchair, that look of curiosity still written on his face. You leave the briefing room, shut the door behind you, and leave the small branch office, walking once again across the shade-covered parking lot to begin the two-hour journey to Glenridge. You arrive in Glenridge at about four in the afternoon on February 1st. As you roll into the small rural town, you can't help but feel a strange sense of dread set over you. The town itself looks boring, sleepy, the sort of town where Everyone knows each other's name, and the local police force numbers less than 10 officers. As you drive down the main street of the town, where would you like to go first? Um, uh, does, uh, you said the police station has uh, the bodies and the head? Yes. You've been told I... that the police station has all the evidence that's been collected so far. Though, if you think there are any other places that might prove interesting in town that you might like to check out, such as you know that uh, you know that one victim was a dentist, you know the other two victims were both connected to the local high school. So, if you want to not check in with the police yet and would rather go to either of those locations first, that is also an option. Well, I think this is a good time because it's just beginning to split up and <laughs> divide and conquer three ways. <laughs> Alright. Alright, so who wants to go where? Well, uh, uh, my my skills are better suited for uh, the evidence and the bodies. So you'll go to Fair the enough. police station. Where would Stanley like to go? Alright, so I have my choice of the university what was the other one so there's the local high school campus oh, high school, and the dentist yeah. campus. Huh. 
That said, you can all check in with the police first, try to develop some preliminary leads, and then follow up on them. It's entirely up to you. You don't have to split. Well, how's everyone's law? Uh, I don't have law. Alright, so... Uh, all right, all right, yeah, no, no existence. Alright, so, okay. Let's all go to the police station, because I think my law will get us through to look, look at the evidence then. Yeah, that, that will definitely help. Yeah. Well, very well. And so, you drive on this sleepy late afternoon day through this nearly empty town. The main street has barely anyone out and about. The shop fronts are seemingly, uh, seemingly deserted. All of the local businesses either closed or empty. And you arrive at the Glen Ridge Police Department, which is actually little more than a couple of double-wide trailers attached together with a dirt parking lot out the front, with uh, three SUV cruisers currently parked there. You wanted to say something, It's not quite that time of town. It's a little more populous than that, but it's getting there. Yeah. You park in the parking lot, climb out of the car, and your boots crunch on the gravel as you walk across the parking lot and come to the front door of the police station, which strangely appears to be nothing more than a metal screen door above a couple of wooden steps like the type you would find at the front of someone's house. And when you try the doorknob, you find it to be locked. Hmm. Uh, oh, big guy, this looks like it's uh, your show, so after you. Yep, yeah, uh, knock, knock on the door. You knock on the door. There is silence for about five seconds, and then you hear the sound of something being unlatched on the other side. The door opens with a metallic creak, and you find yourself face-to-face with a female police officer in full uniform, her shoulder-length red hair covering up most of her face. She looks maybe early to mid-thirties. She frowns as she sees you, and then she notices the suit you're wearing. She says, you feds? Um, flash my FBI badge. Agent Smolder, FBI. She nods. She says, we've been expecting you. We called for assistance days ago now. She opens the door and ushers you inside, leading you down a very narrow carpeted hallway with uh, cork wood walls into the back of the trailer, which has basically been entirely uh, hollowed out and repurposed to a repurposed to an open-plan office area with four or five desks and a small kitchenette uh, laid out across a big open area. You see a couple of other police officers sitting at their desks, either filing through paperwork, typing on the computer, or pouring cups of coffee in the kitchenette. 
the woman points towards uh, points towards a folding plastic table on the edge of the kitchenette and says, "Please take a seat. Uh, can I get you in, any of you a coffee?" No, I'll have a coffee, Black. Yep. Yeah. Uh, two sugars, milk, thank you. She looks over at the man in the kitchenette and she says, "Greg, three coffees. Uh, one black, one two sugars, one no sugar. Thanks." He nods, and then she sits down opposite you on the table. She holds out her hand. She says, I'm Detective Hannah Gregson. I'm in charge of this investigation. So I'm just writing you stuff down. Anyone take her hand? Yeah. Yep, shake uh, what, her hand. What, what was it, Hannah what? Uh, Hannah Gregson. Gregson. Detective. Yep. She waits until the coffee arrives, and then she hands and the older male police officer by the name of Greg hands a steaming, steaming styrofoam cup to each of you. And then she reaches into her pocket, pulls out a cigarette, and lights it. She says, "Sir, before we start, I just want to get this clear and out in the open. As you know." FBI only has jurisdiction if the crime takes place over multiple state borders. As far as we know, everything that's happened so far is local, right here in Glen Ridge, and furthermore, isolated to Long Island. So, this is not your case. You're merely assisting us and helping us conduct the investigation. Am I clear? We're just trying to keep things by the books and find out everything that we can. She says, right, now, we do, we do appreciate your assistance. I do like to consider myself a good detective and how we've got some good folks here in Glenridge, but we only have six police officers in the department, and to be frank, we're just not used to this kind of, we're just not used to this kind of, crime she says so anything you'd like to know before we begin can you tell us more about this um chiropractor killer that i heard about she frowns and she says yeah glenridge chiropractor the press are calling him <sighs> she's clearly has some disdain for the name she says so so far three victims two of them found uh, strung up very high locations school librarian at the top of a pine tree 12 meters above the ground young cheerleader 20 meters above ground over an electrical tower by the highway the first victim the local dentist was not found in a high location but the coroner did say that his body showed signs suggesting damage from falling from a great height. She says, We've run background checks on all three of the victims, and for the life of us, we can't find anything that would indicate they have any enemies or that they've run afoul of anyone who would wish to do them harm. For the most part, they are all normal people living normal lives. Anything we found... Maybe. Go ahead, Stanley. I was going to say, maybe this was less of a 
less of a uh, targeted hunt and more of just a random pick a person on a dartboard. Who, who knows with this lot? I mean, the chase itself's crazy enough. It makes sense for the guy behind, whoever's behind to be crazy as well. She nods and she says, yeah, psychopath like this, no doubt it's some completely random thing that set him off. Um, where, whereabouts did you say the dentist was found again? She says, the dentist was found, uh, in a local pub, a local football field, uh, simply lying there in the grass. His head was found a couple meters away. There doesn't, there isn't any any trees or towers, anything like that in close proximity to indicate where he might have fallen, but his body did indicate signs of having fallen from a great height anyway. Any she, yep. rope marks or anything like that? Any signs or forms that something was constricting his body? She says, well, we've called you in to assist and everything we've found so far has been Piled in the reports, she gestures to the desk closest to the kitchenette, where there are several cardboard boxes filled with piles of paper. She says, all three bodies are actually preserved in the morgue right now, about a block away from here down the main street. And given that you're open to assisting with the investigation, I'm sure Dr. Santorini would be happy to let you take a look at the bodies yourself and divulge any of his findings hmm. sounds like a job for me we greatly appreciate it. we've got um mm -hmm. one of our um, top agents here who can look at the bodies she smiles and she says fantastic oh and uh i have a feeling that this investigation might uh you know might take more than just one night to resolve so Sometimes some of the officers here have to pull all-nighters. She points to a small, uh, a tiny room off in the corner, uh, opposite the kitchenette on the other side of the office area, with uh, wood-panelled walls and a wooden door. She says, uh, there's a couple of uh, fold-out mattresses in there that you can uh, crash on if you need to. Much appreciated. She uh, nods and she says, well, I've uh, got a press conference. I've got to meet with the local press, try to keep them happy without telling them anything about this case. So I'll be attending to that while you get a head start on the investigation. One thing before you go, I'd like it if uh, you could keep the public as far as away from the park uh, and the other... <clears throat> places where the bodies were found. The less public interaction, the better. She nods and she says, very well. I'll have some of the other officers put out uh, an order. And uh, if you find anything or need my help, she reaches into her pocket and hands you a business card. It has her name on it. Detective Hannah Gregson and her phone number. She says, I pretty much always got my cell on me. If I can't answer, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Well, I think we got our lead, so... If we find out anything, if you find out anything, let us know. She smiles, butts out her cigarette on the ashtray on the table, brushes a lock of red hair out of her face, and then walks briskly out of the office area. 
what would you like to say, Stanley? What were you saying? I was, was going to say, is Stanley the only one with like a proper cell? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, not uh, Smolder's got one too. HG King's ah, probably okay. the only one who yeah, doesn't. Yeah, you, you just had um, uh, Green's number. Yeah. Uh, okay. I was just checking. Just yeah, he's just. Gonna you're just the, the only one with Green's number, but yeah, you've both got cells, so you could call Detective Gregson if you need to. And, uh, well, I'll let, I'll let Smolder take the uh, business card. And remember, you are under strict orders from Green to not contact her over the phone for this operation. Yep. Um, I've I've got a notepad and pen. I write down the number and hand it yep. to Stanley, so we both have a copy of the number. So, it's a, now after you've been briefed and gotten settled, it's just shy of quarter to five in the evening. So how would you like to begin your investigations? I actually would like to look at the park. You'd like it's to probably a good to place to start. Okay, so would you like to go on your own or would anyone like to accompany Knox? I think... Well, I um, want to look at either the, the evidence, like the paper evidence or the bodies. Right. So how about you head to the morgue, Knox can go to the park where the dentist was found, the first victim, because you know the other two victims, you know the second victim was found on the high school grounds and the third victim was found by the highway. So both of those probably would be a bit too far to get a look at tonight, but the park is quite close by, you can easily get a look at that. Meanwhile, Stanley, would you like to pull up a chair by the desk and make the sort through all the evidence that they've compiled thus far. Dirty job, but uh, someone's gonna do it. Alright. Not cut out for all this field crap at the moment anyway. <laughs> Tell each other that you'll meet in a few hours and then you go your separate ways. First, we shall handle Nox Smolder who, upon leaving the police station, climbs into the rented car and drives it down the main street as the sky above starts to be tinted with the first hints of sunset. You drive down the main road, turn onto a side street, and as you make your way towards the uh, park, using the map that you have been... using the map that uh, is in the glove compartment of the rented car that shows you the rough location of most of the town's important places. I'd like you to make a navigation check, please, or a drive check, whichever one you think, whichever one you think you would be more likely to pass. Uh, navigate is ten. Drive auto is twenty. I'll attempt the drive auto. <laughs> Okay, that's 15, so that's a pass. Hey, they're both... Uh, actually, yeah, yeah, Navigate's 10%, so yeah, Drive Auto, <laughs> that's a pass. Yep. So, you grab the map, unfold it, pinpoint the police station and the local football field in the... Uh, what's called the Central City Park, even though, even though the map shows it's only a tiny little thing about the size of uh, one... Uh, plot of land um, and quickly plot a route between them and you manage to get there taking only 10 minutes with plenty of daylight still to burn as you conduct your investigations. The park 
is almost empty, save for a couple of teenagers who are kicking a football back and forth on the edge of the football field. Beside the football field, a small gravel path wends through the park. Next to it is a small picnic area with two wooden tables and uh, a brick uh, barbecue that's just uh, fixed directly between them. You notice that despite it being a park, there isn't much in the way of plantation. Only a couple of trees and each one no taller than you. A small section of the football field all the way on the edge of it opposite where you and the teenagers are. An area about two meter an area of about two by two meters has been cordoned off with faded police tape. A couple of weeks old by this point. Almost three weeks old by this point. What would you like to examine first? Actually first I'd like to question the teenagers. Yep. So you walk down the gravel path towards the teenagers, and as you draw nearer, one of them catches the football and he turns towards you. His friend comes running up, and they both stare at you with puzzled looks on their faces. What do you say? Uh, first I, um, sh clearly show, show them old badge, not just a quick flip through and go, um, Agent Small at FBI. Hey, uh, you local kids here? I'd like you to make a law check, please. Certainly can. Um... Uh, I want to see if fail, so they sit there and go, Oh, come on, this thing's clearly <laughs> fake. We can buy one of those at the, the gas station. <laughs> you want badges? I can give you a badge. No, $2.99. I tell you some. <laughs> I, I really wish that failed, but that's a 24. That's a bad ah, dang. They smile, and uh, the kid who's holding the football scratches his blonde hair, and he says, Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Bobby, this is my friend Jamie. Uh, we're on the high school football team. Uh, we've been coming here to practice lately, what with the, what with the uh, school being uh, closed down with all the police and whatnot. You kids aren't concerned about um, this chiropractic killer lurking around? They look, at, they look at each other and then they look back at you and they smile and they say, Well, so far he's only gone after old people and girls. Like, we're, we're both quarterbacks. Uh, anyone would think twice before messing with us. <coughs> and they both laugh. Wow. And you sort of take it as that usual sort of teenage naivety that they... I'm so glad you're dealing with this because Danley and absolutely hate these kids. Yeah, they basically yeah. think that they're invincible. Alright, so, um, what makes you so certain they're just going out to girls and old people? Says, well, so, like, there was that dentist, right? Uh, Dr... There, there was the dentist, right? Dr. Moretti? Well, everyone knows he's old. Like, He's been the dentist since when my since, since when our daddies were, were in high school, right? So he's got to be 60, 70 years old. Then there was the librarian at our high school, Miss Hatvin. Well, she's kind of pretty for her age, I guess, but everyone knows she ain't no spring chicken. Shame about Lauren, though. One of the one of the more uh, good-looking cheerleaders on the cheer squad. But, you know, 
Those girls on the cheer squad, they don't play football. They don't know how to defend themselves. So, uh, you ask Jamie or me, it looks like this sicko's going after people who can't defend themselves. Right, so you're just going, to, going off assumptions then, are we? They shrug and they say, well, <laughs> well, use the police, ain't ya? Use the ones supposed to be trying to catch this sicko. Exactly why I'm talking to you. And I just, um... They look at each... Fucking smart ass. They look at each other once again. I'd like you to make an appearance check, please. That is a 25, which is a... Do, 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 hard pass. The two boys look at each other, exchanging a strange furtive look, as if there's something more that they want to tell you, but feel would feel ashamed to mention. Ooh. Hmm. So I just get this uh, from a uh, tuition. Yeah. Basically, they look at you, and they're ba you, you get the look idea that they're kind of weighing up whether they can trust you. Hmm. Look, all, all I'm trying to do is put this fucking sicko behind bars, and the more information I get, the better. I'd like you to make a persuade check, please. Oh. As if they're failing that, there's nothing wrong with giving out one and giving out a Benjamin or two. Yeah. yeah that, actually, maybe not Maybe not the Benjamin, because that's a $100 bill, but you know. Oh, oh, fuck yeah, that's a two. Never mind then. Two. Lovely. Oh. So luckily you didn't hand over a Benjamin, because I think if anyone saw an FBI agent bribing teens, that yeah. would no. probably be a bad look, especially as I'd like you to do a spot hidden check right now. Oh, Before no. I describe uh, what happened. I know he's fucking back. Uh, that is a nine. As as you draw the kid, as you draw the kids closer to yourself and reassure them that you just want to get to the bottom of this, you catch something out of the corner of your left eye. You turn to look, and there, on the street, uh, on the street that passes the park. You could see a white van with the Phenomenex TV logo emblazoned God. on the side. And you, even though you can't see through the tinted windows, you're pretty sure someone's pointing a camera out, filming everything you're doing. The boys, the boys look at each other once again and they lean in and they say, well, there's those strange rumours around town. Given the way that uh, all these people were found, you know, up up in the air, heads missing, spine ripped out, like uh, you know, uh, like I spoke to one of those reporters who's been snooping around town the last couple of weeks, and he said that uh, there's a monster on the loose. He then monster, you say? He 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 smiles a strange smile. He says like. Like a real monster, like, like something from the movies, like stalking, hunting people, tearing them apart, like, like something from your nightmares, and they're trying to catch it on film. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I just leaning, leaning close to the boys, and um, without um letting them them know um the, the um weird ass goddamn people, I point to them with um the pen I'm running with. Don't tell anything you told me to them, okay? We're trying to keep everything on just quiet. We don't want any kind of um public out outbreak here. 
make another persuade check, please. Uh, that is a 15. What's the base rate for um, persuade? Or you can make a charm check if you if you want as well. Persuade oh, is which is half your half your appearance if you don't have it. Ah, uh, that's Kitty. Hey, Kitty. Oh, okay. Well, I have um. Well, I'll just use charm anyway because I have fallen yep. charm. And that's with my appearance anyway. So. Yep. I I'm still trying to get that right. I have charm and it's half my appearance. So do I add forty plus thirty-five? Yeah, it's base is half your appearance, mm. and then whatever else, whatever other skill points you added on top of that is what your charm oh. is. Oh, neat. So I, I, I can charm the pants off anyone. Yeah. Okay, and that, <clears throat> that is a 22, so that's a hard pass. Lovely. They look at each other, and then they look back at you, and they smile, and they say, Ah, don't worry, your secret's safe with us, sir. Uh, we're about to head home anyway. It's going to get dark, and, you know, we're all... You know, we like to practice, and we still don't think anyone's going to be stupid enough to attack the quarterback, but, you know, our moms like to worry, and we want to, we, we don't want to, we don't want to, we, we don't, we don't, you know, you know what moms are like, and they sort of chuckle, not finishing off their sentences, as, I, if, they're, um, I... as if they're too embarrassed to admit that they don't want their mothers to worry <laughs> about them. Yeah, they're, they're just, yeah, they don't want their moms whipping their ass for being out after dark. I, I chuckle at them as well, and I just uh, write down my num number and slip it to them with... Would I have to do a sleight of hand or something so that uh, the van won't see? It all depends if you want to secretly give it to them. If you don't want the TV van to notice, then yes, yeah, sleight of hand. Yeah. Otherwise, you can just okay. hand it to them. Okay, because yeah, I don't want them um, approaching the boys and going, Oh, what, what do they hand you? Alright, good to know I have some sleight of hand. Which is a just a pass, just on 15. Lovely. <clears throat> so you secretly hand... Uh, uh, my my phone sec number. You secretly hand your business card to Bobby, puts it in his pocket, then they nod, turn around and start jogging away down the gravel path, leaving you alone in the park. What would you like to do? Uh, uh, first, I would like to look in the area... Uh, just around where the body was found, not where it was, just around. Around where it was found? Very well. Yep. Uh, so it's been nearly three weeks since the dentist's body was found, so any evidence that's left would be quite well hidden at this point. So I would like you to please make a track check. Oh shit. Uh, what's the base track was that? Ten. Ten. Uh, ten. Oh fuck. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother push that. All right. So, so you, there is definitely gonna be something you miss, but I would like you oh, to make fuck. a, I'd like you to make a spot hidden check now with disadvantage. Oh, with disadvantage, okay. Oh shit! Uh. Of, course, of course, that had to be a one. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Can I, can, can I spend four luck points? Wait, if you got a one, that means you passed. No, he got, oh, one, got a one and then he rolled something else. Yeah, you yeah, can push it. With, you you can push a disadvantage. You just have to do it the second roll also with disadvantage. Oh shit! Okay, we'll, we'll we'll try that. We'll try that. Okay. Uh, I hate you and ninety-seven and a hundred. Uh. I should have just bet the four luck points. 
but no. <laughs> 97 at 100, okay. So you would like to fail that, or would you like to spend luck? Oh, I'm, I'm not spending uh, 50 All luck. luck. I don't have. Yeah. Um, so you look around the area for a bit, searching the surrounds and the area behind the police tape. If there were any sort of tracks or drag marks, they've long since disappeared. You do find something of note, but you search for so long that it takes you over an hour and the sun is starting to go down. The area is starting to turn purple as uh, dusk rolls in by the time you find it. And that is about... About... A meter behind the police uh, line, presumably the place where the body was found, you see uh, some you see a large brown stain in the grass that you quickly identify as dried blood. It's a very, very large pool of blood, and in the very center of it, there's a small indentation in the dirt, as if something was just dropped here. It fell from such a height that it slammed into the ground, making an indentation, and pretty much exploded, resulting in this copious amount of blood pooling around the area. Ah. You look directly above you to see where it could be dropped from, and there's no trees, there's no power poles or anything. Directly above you, there is nothing but the purple, uh, the purple early night sky. Uh, dark blue clouds rolling in and a couple of stars already twinkling. This looks like the job for night vision goggles. Yeah, something was dropped directly from the sky, it looks like. And as you see this, I would like you to make a sand check. Oh. Uh, that is... Shit, I'm gonna have to roll that again because... That is a... What is my 70 at the moment? No, that's calculator. That is a pass. I rolled a 72 and current sanity is 84. Okay, you lose one point of sanity. Would you like to put on your night vision goggles and take another look? Yes. <laughs> you place your briefcase. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to think about that it. That's an exceedingly long pause. <laughs> you place your briefcase down on the ground in front of you and grab out your night vision goggles, flip them on, and suddenly the park is illuminated in a bright green haze. I will now allow you to repeat the track roll from before. You may do it with advantage. Yay! You said track was 10%? Yes. Yep. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. I'm wrong with different, uh, <laughs> same dice, two D10s. Okay, that is a 15 and a... Okay, I'm gonna have to spend five luck points. God damn, I'm spending all the luck points. Alright, five luck points. Now that you are able to see with the night vision goggles, you detect something that you missed before. A portion of the grass, just on the other side of the cordoned off area, 
appears to be slightly flattened. You move over to it and you look in close and you make out almost faded away, just barely visible after all this time, some footprints. It appears someone was walking along the side of the football field. Then suddenly the then suddenly the footprints end as if the person vanished. The next so the only evidence that they even still existed after this point is the large indentation in the grounds that you just saw literally indicating that they were walking along and something lifted them up off the ground and then dropped them from a great height so what did and i lost sam for looking up yeah because you realized that something yeah. dropped somebody okay. from a great height because I'm, there's no tree or anything yeah. they could have fallen from. This person, that, the person who died here, seemingly fell out of the sky. I'm starting to get ideas of what this could be, but obviously that's metagaming and I'm just yeah, going to sit here and start freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, or, or we could be wrong completely. Are you... I, yep. Are you happy yeah. with your investigation of the crime scene? Uh... Are there any, um, any fragments of the body, uh, that has been found? Like, uh, cause it, as you said, it was dropped from the great height. I'm assuming, uh, bits and pieces of the skull would have gone everywhere. I would like you to make a normal spot hidden check, please, because you do have the goggles on. That is a pass. <laughs> 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 20. Sorry. You spend <laughs> another 20 minutes just scouring the area and then you detect something quite bizarre it's half buried in the dirt under the grass obviously missed by the local police and you don't blame them if you didn't have your goggles on you would not have been able to differentiate it from the grass and the dirt it appears to be the top half of an index finger just snapped oh. off and discarded in the grass and as you see it i'd like you to make a sand check please fair enough yeah no that's a that's a that's a finger that's a pass uh, so you lose another one point of sand and you grab the index finger out and drop it in an evidence bag and the skin is leathery and grey and covered in maggots by this point. You'll be lucky to get any fingerprints or DNA off it, but you can always try. Um, and based on the jagged shard of bone sticking out from the tip of it, uh, it was just violently wrenched off its owner's hand with a great force. Ish. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll think, think I'll return now. Yep. That said, you believe you found enough at the crime scene, and so as the as the dark shadows slowly turn from purple to dark blue to black, walk across the gravel path, footfalls echoing in the darkness, and just as you climb into your car and turn on the headlights, 
you still make out the shape of the white van parked in the same spot it had been watching you the whole time. We cross to H.G. King, who travels to the morgue about a block away from the police station. H.G. King, the morgue is not much to be excited about. The front of it appears to be a normal uh, doctor's clinic. The back of it, as proudly proclaimed by the faded, uh, faded steel sign on the edge of the gravel parking lot, explains that uh, it is a morgue in addition to a medical centre. And as you enter the lobby, you see several people scattered around the waiting room, some of them sitting and watching a TV in the corner that's replaying the highlights of a recent baseball game. A woman and her child lazily flipping through magazines, and near and an overweight man behind the uh, reception counter doing his best to try to watch the TV from the very awkward angle he's positioned to the side of it. As you enter, nobody looks up at you, not even the receptionist, and to get his attention, you have to loudly clear your throat. He slowly looks away from the TV, looks you up and down, he says, you got an appointment? Well, not per se, but uh, H.G. King, forensic anthropologist, here to uh, assist with some uh, one of your cases that you have going on at the moment. I'd like you to make an appearance check, please. Um, okay. Can I use uh, four luck points, please? Yes, you can. And that is a pass. He looks at you, looks looks you up and down, notices your white lab coat underneath your jacket and then the uh, FBI name badge pinned to it. He says, ah, you're here to see Dr. Santorini, not Dr. Michaels. I got it. He reaches yeah. for a phone in front of him, dials a number, brings it up to his ear and he says, ah, Dr. Santorini, uh, Got a uh, suit here. Uh, a uh, you said your name was uh, J. G. Prince or something? H. G. King. Uh, H. G. King, uh, and he's a uh, he's a forensic uh, forensic uh, aquabiologist or uh, something like that. Uh. <laughs> He nods, he puts down the receiver, he says, Ah, yeah, Dr. Santorini uh, said you could go through. Uh, What you want to do is head down that hallway there, go past uh, Dr. Michael's examination examination room, past the ER, uh, past the bathrooms, and uh, the big metal door right at the end is the morgue. Well, thank you, and uh, enjoy your viewing. He nods. And he says, enjoy your, uh, your, uh, fish or whatever it is you study. I shall. <laughs> <laughs> you walk down the hallway, uh, past Dr. Michael's room, which is currently closed. 
past the ER, which in this case is just a small room with a stretcher placed in the middle and a single lamp hanging over it. And you come to the large metal doors at the end. No handles on them, they're designed to swing open when someone would push a uh, stretcher through them. Would you just like to enter or would you like to knock first? I'll just enter. You push open the doors and they make a loud creak that fills the hallway as you step through them. You find yourself in a very brightly lit makeshift morgue. Uh, there's no way that this is a that this is a uh, sanctioned or accredited uh, place to conduct an autopsy. It's mainly an open, empty room which is about the same size and shape as the waiting room you were just in. You can see uh, some spots on the walls opposite you where chairs used to be affixed, and the carpet has been stripped up. Stripped away, leaving only the concrete floor underneath. Uh, what used to be a what used to clearly be uh, a wall that held a TV, uh, held a TV and a community notice board has since been replaced with a couple of uh, a couple of cadaver drawers, about four or five of them, just lining the wall, and out in the middle of the room. Uh, under a series of fluorescent light bulbs that are just dangling from chains are some fold-out stretchers with three uh, three bodies, each covered in blood-stained green sheets. As you enter, a as you enter, a man in a white lab coat who is uh, reefing, who is currently slowly making his way through a wreath of papers on what used to be the reception counter looks over at you and he smiles and he says ah dr king come over join me well thank you good sir he holds out his hand he says dr stephen santorini pleased to meet you always <laughs> nice to see someone else in town who has an eye for the human body well uh I'm sure you've done a fantastic job here of these bodies, but it never hurts to have a second pair of eyes have a look at them. He says, of course, now that, uh, if I've heard right from Detective Gregson and she said something about the feds coming in to assist on the case. Yes, it's just a few, uh, unanswered questions that they're uh, hoping that we could be able to get, have an outsider's opinion to, uh, answer those questions. He says, well, bodies are right here. They're all preserved to the best of my ability. Feel free to look at them at your own pleasure. But if you have any questions, anything about the uh, initial uh, inquiry, uh, feel free to ask and I'll answer as best I can. Well, so for what I've found, these bodies seem to have been uh, dropped from some height, but not sure what dropped them or how. Is that correct? He nods, he says, yeah, falling from a great height. Well, two of them, uh, you might have heard, were actually found strung up in the air, one over an electrical tower, the other over a tree. Poor dentist, uh, poor, uh, 
poor old uh, Dr. Moretti was found just as if he'd been dropped out of the sky. Look, between me and you, this case is the oddest I've ever seen. I've been working as the coroner for Suffolk County for some 15 years now. I've worked with the FBI, the Army, the Coast Guard, but I ain't ever seen anything like this. Hmm. Look, I'm not above admitting that the oddities in the case outweigh any evidence uh, that the post-mortem may have produced. Now, these, uh, the bodies that were look, look like they were strung up, were they just look like they'd uh, fallen, that's just where they landed, or were they actually strung up uh, in the tree and over the wires properly? He says, well, uh, see, that's the thing I couldn't figure out at first, because the way they were draped over, one was draped over the tower, the other over the tree. My first thought was that someone had gone to great lengths to string them up there, but then when I noticed the blood trauma on the dentist, well, look, I'm torn between the two, but I'm leaning ever so slightly to uh, the fact that they were dropped out of the air and just coincidentally landed where they did. And there was no sign of the heads for these other two? He says, unfortunately, they haven't been found. Which makes mm. me believe that perhaps they weren't dropped and just landed there. Maybe whoever did this after the first killing was putting in a concerted effort to maybe clean up after themselves. Starting perhaps a bit more effort to conceal the heads. So you think this killer uh, is evolving his techniques? He says, well, look, I don't claim to know anything about the mind of a psycho like this, but, uh, it's possible he may be learning, maybe getting more daring, better at what he does. He shudders at the thought. Hmm. And, uh, how, how long between attacks was it? He says, well, so the, so the dentist was, uh, what, uh, 20 days ago now? Librarian was ten days after that, and the poor young girl uh, was only a few days ago. So, roughly a week, give or take, between attacks. Right. He says, I'm not sure what to think of it, because there isn't any exact time frame. Hmm. He says, well, uh, you ready to look at the bodies? I think that'll be best. He smiles, a grim smile, and he says, Brace yourself, please, Dr. King. Let's do this. You walk, you walk over to the bodies together, and then with a, with a nod, Dr. Santorini flings the sheet one by one off the corpses. I'd like you to make a sand check, please. Here we go. Ah, uh, that is a fail. So that's going uh, to be one d four sand loss. Please just be a one. Hey, that's just a one. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, okay. So as you look at the corpses, you find that the severe severe trauma in the hips, shoulders, and rib cages have rendered the bodies horrific to look at. 
At this point, they are little more than bashed and ripped bags of severed muscles and shattered bones. Go ahead and make a forensics check, please. Or a medicine check, or... Yeah, actually, we'll do all three in succession. So first, start with a forensics check. That is a seven. Hey. As an extreme, which means I get a 1d3 send back. Lovely. So first of all, it appears that the spine of each victim was removed violently from the base upwards to the back of the neck. The brute strength required to perform such a removal would be superhuman. The spines, according to Dr. Santorini, have never been recovered. After considering the location of the Hatburn and Harrogate bodies, it was Santorini who came to the conclusion that the bodies had been dropped from a great height after death, and you can definitely see uh, you can definitely see fractures and outright breakages in the bones that indicate heavy blunt force trauma. Go ahead and please make. Do you have medicine? Uh, I do have medicine. Go ahead and make a medicine check, please. Uh, can that be pushed? Yes, it can. No. So, um, okay, I will allow you to substitute it with an anthropology check, but it will be a hard anthropology check. Okay. Because anthropology is also the knowledge of human bones. Particularly forensic anthropology. Well, you know. Uh, that is a 10, which is an extreme. So based on some indentations on the limbs, extremities, and the bones, uh, you determine that each victim was killed by severe cutting wounds caused by a weapon that you would liken to perhaps a tree branch cutter. A blunt yet strong cutting tool. The cuts are clean, but also incredibly violent. This is what gives you the impression that it was a heavy, blunt cutting tool that snapped the limbs clean off. Santorini frowns. He strokes his chin. He says, as I said, not a pretty sight. So, in your opinion, were, were there signs on the bodies that indicated that it was the same, uh, same motive, same, same person that did all three? He says, well, look, based on the similarity of the wounds, I'm left to conclude it's the same person. Police haven't established a motive. Uh, apparently background checks couldn't establish any link or commonality between these three victims, but... Look, the alternative is that there's a group of people out there killing in ways like this. And look, I'm not sure I'm prepared to uh, think about that. No, probably not. He says, finally, there is uh, the tissue samples that we recovered from under the nails. Ah, uh, yes. He says, I collected a great number of samples of it. I've still got several small test tubes full of this stuff in my uh, office over here. If 
The rest of it was sent to the FBI laboratory. If you want to have a look at it, feel free. For the life of me, I can't conclude what it could be. Hmm. He leads you away from the bodies, replacing the sheets, and over to what used to be the reception counter, where you see a rack of test tubes filled with a viscous grey substance next to a microscope. So these were found under the nails, you say? He says, yeah, all, all of it under the nails. As if, you know, the victims were struggling, scraping at their assailant and uh, got this stuff under their fingernails. Look, uh, I'm not sure what it is, but I gotta say it's the oddest evidence on a body I've ever found in my whole career. Well then, you best have a look. See if it's the oddest that I've experienced. You set up a couple of microscope slides, inserting drops of the substance between the glass plates, and then you place them in the microscope and take a close look at what's underneath. I'd like you to for make a hard forensic check, please. That is a 15, so yes, that is a hard pass. So the substance recovered from the fingernails of the victims cannot be clearly identified. You can only conclude that the substance is some unrecognised complex organic polymer. The material is not alive, you can determine that much. It is composed of chains of organic molecules, layered and interwoven. Microscopic examination of the mesh reveals that surrounding the openings in the screen of polymer chains are small small accumulations of bits of microscopic debris much like sweat secretions around the pores that you would find on samples of human skin this debris on the gray polymer however is fluorine with traces of chlorine and ammonia hmm. i'd like you to make an intelligence check please Uh, that uh, can I use three luck points, please? Yes, you can. And that is a pass. Your best guess is that this is skin tissue from some unknown non-human creature, and whatever it is, it appears to be ammonia-based. It's sweat, or blood, or both. Contains high concentrations of fluorine, chlorine, and ammonia. Hmm. But isn't fluoride flammable? Yeah, it's quite acidic. So whatever okay. this thing is, its skin and its secretions are quite acidic. I would like you to make a sand check, please, as you as you <laughs> make this conclusion. Uh, no. <clears throat> That is a sudden loss of 1d3. You step away from the microscope and exchange a puzzled glance with Dr. Santorini. He shrugs and he says, like I said, no clue. Were there any... Um 
any patterns in the like the carvings and that that were on the either of the bodies like he says no it just looks like someone's gone to town on him torn him to shreds as violently and as chaotically as possible he says if mm. i didn't know better i'd say they ran afoul of a wild animal but what what animal would get them so far up in a tree and over wires the doctor shrugs and he says my thoughts exactly now look i'm not the type to believe in ghosts and aliens and what have you but what i've been hearing especially from some of those reporters about there being a, a monster or something like that well maybe i'm uh maybe i don't want to know what it is that quite possibly could be a, a wise decision, but let's just be safe. And uh, if anyone does approach you about the uh, findings, just uh, keep it on the lowdown and say that they're still under investigation. So, you, so we don't want any uh, unwanted eyes peeping around. He nods and he says, "Will do." You take care of yourself, you hear? Uh, shame, it would be a shame to see uh, someone uh, as clued in as you uh, fight off more than they can chew. Well, we can only do what the best that we can do, and uh, we can that's all we can try for. He shakes your hand, you bid him farewell, and then you return to the police station. Oh, and if you do find anything extra, make sure you, get, you let me know. He taps his eye. I'm he taps his eye. I'll keep an eye on it. We cross over to Stanley, who has pulled out a chair, taken a seat at the desk that's uh, covered in cardboard boxes and piles of paper. All the preliminary uh, reports on this case so far. You've unfolded your laptop, set it up on a very small bare space of desk and turns it into an impromptu uh, workstation. So, what would you like to do first? Um, just work on what the preliminary finds the police have had so far and uh, build something up from there. Sure, go ahead and make a library use check please to catalogue the information. I was gonna say, yeah, sure, shit ain't the Ritz. Alright, so no, push that a little bit if you don't mind, umpire. Uh, can I spend five luck points for that? Yes, you can. Okay, so. It's. As, as it's all just been compiled over the last few weeks, it hasn't been particularly well organized, so it takes you the better part of an hour to go through all the cardboard boxes, separate the piles of paper into into piles that represent each of the three victims, and you can't help but wish more people would learn to use computers, because if they did all this in a database, it would have been a lot easier for you to... I was going to say, get to like about five minutes into the job and just go... I suppose I can get an extra cup of coffee, could you? Mm. <laughs> uh, Greg, the police officer, sighs and he pours you another cup of coffee and he hands you the 
styrofoam cup, and he says, uh, I apologize. Uh, once Detective Gregson gets uh, stuck into something, she really uh, basically just shoves the paperwork off to one side and uh, yeah. won't let the rest of us touch it until she uh, thinks uh, it's time to catalog it all. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you guys, I look, I know it's a, it's a little expensive, but uh, you ever think about getting into a computer, man? I, I swear, it really frees the desk up. Hmm? He says, hey, you're preaching to the choir here, but uh, try explaining that to Detective Gregson. Uh, well, oh, no, trust me, I get those guys down at the office. And some of those guys, oh, yeah, they can bench press their women twice their weight, but you put them in front of a computer screen, and they're more likely to put their fifth throw than actually work one out. So he actually seems to take a liking to you, and he grabs hey. one of the folding, one of the chairs from the kitchenette, drags it over to your desk, and actually helps you uh, scan through the materials, meaning you can get it oh, done well, a fair bit quicker. So I would like nice. you to make uh, an own language check with advantage, please, with uh, with uh, Officer Greg Michelson helping you. Hey, and that's the one! Holy shit, this dude! Really, this guy just, this guy needs a promotion. Yeah. So with uh, Officer Greg Michelson helping you, you quickly scan through, read all of the reports, and quickly write up on your computer a summary of the pertinent facts. Checking into similarities in the backgrounds of the victims, which could indicate a motive for the killer, reveals little at first. Each victim led a seemingly mundane life with no known enemies and enjoyed at least an upper-middle-class existence. Their family members are as baffled as the police as to who could be responsible for such a horrible crime. The only possible exception is Lauren Harrogate's mother, who has been confined to a psychiatric facility and has been completely unresponsive. Well, you know, it never hurts to start from the basics. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. Except, as you look over the records, I'd like you to make an intelligence check with advantage, as you still have Officer Michelson helping you here. It's done. Intelligence. Oh, what points do I have to have gotten? And that's a flat 20, so that's a hard pass. While Detective Gregson seems to have done a good job of uh, summarising the backgrounds of each victim, Dr. Carl Moretti, age age 65, the dentist, Vanessa Harvin, age 41, the high school librarian, and Lauren Harrogate, age 17, the uh, teenage cheerleader, and written down contact numbers for their family members, addresses, detailed descriptions of uh, their final 48 hours, you both notice something missing. It appears nobody has decided to pull and run the phone records for any of the three victims. That's the new one, do you think? Being just busy wrapped up in the case, or just a massive overstone? Uh... Your boss's part there. He says, well, uh, there's a bit of bad blood between uh, Hannah and the uh, switchboard operators. 
They think she likes to pry too much. She thinks they're not as forthcoming as they should be with their information. So, if she can glean any information from other purposes, she'll do that and leave the phone records to last. He then looks at you, he says, but you're a fed. Well, cracks knuckles and goes, all right, uh, I don't suppose you got anything for me to pull here or do I gotta go look at myself? He says, well, look, I'll, uh, he says, look, I'll put you through uh, to the switchboard operator. He pushes a rotary phone across the desk towards you. He says, and, well, uh, you uh, do whatever it is feds do to uh, get a warrant or whatever. Get us those phone records. And uh, you're good with computers. We can just get them sent right through via email and Hopefully, they'll turn up something good. All right, then. You uh, you leave that with me. I'll uh, work the magic. See what, what comes loose. He dials the number with his index finger and then hands the receiver to you. You put it to your right ear and you listen to the dial tone. And finally... You get put through to the switchboard operator for Suffolk, Suffolk County. The first thing he says is, For God's sake, woman, I'm not handing over your ex-boyfriend's phone records. And Stanley just sort of sits and goes, Aw, you just say the nicest thing to all the fellas, or is it just my lucky day? The switchboard operator pauses for a moment and he says, Ah! Oh. He says, unless I'm much mistaken, uh, this is the number of the uh, Glen Ridge Police Department. Uh, yeah, well, right place, uh, different people. This is uh, Special Agent Stanley Bard of the uh, FBI. Uh, calling in on a uh, small personal favor, working on a case down the area. See if you could uh, help me out on this matter. Uh, looking for a, a number of... Uh, uh, phone uh, call any calls related to certain phone numbers uh, relating to certain people uh, sort of read out the list uh, would we actually have their phone numbers on file I'm guessing ah uh, yes you do so you just read out the list to him yeah um he thinks for a moment um I'd like you to make an electronics check to explain to him how you could possibly use the phone records to uh, triangulate the movements, the last movements of these people leading up to their deaths. Electronics. And that's a four. So basically just Lovely. a very, I'm going to run you through this, run you through a very step-by-step, -step, pretty much do like a uh, electro, basic electronic for dummies sort of talk, just bit by bit, you do this, you move this under here, you give me this information, I <laughs> move this stuff here, we all have a good time, we're home in time for tea. He listens to your instructions patiently, and then at the end he says, Well, pleasure working with you. You're much easier to work with than that damn harpy. He says, uh, Look, uh, I'll pull up the lists, and uh, you got an email address or something? I sure do. I hand uh, out the email address that I have. Uh, now, obviously, this is a uh, small federal man. I'm going to need those ASAP. Uh, I, obviously, you're a busy guy, but I appreciate uh, the uh, timing on this one. He says, very well, uh, I'll have him over to you immediately. Uh, good luck, Agent Baird. 
and then he hangs up. Yeah, I was, oh, was going to say oh, good yeah. luck with the harpy business, but uh, <laughs> yeah. he hangs up immediately, then never mind. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, a few seconds later, your computer goes, and the red icon appears above your inbox. You click uh, it, and immediately a several megabyte big Excel spreadsheet fills the screen with hundreds and hundreds of phone numbers dating back the last two months to sort through. I would like you to either do a hard computer use check or a mathematics check. Alright. I've this before. What in the hell does mathematics fall under? Because it's, it's not so it's, on the It falls under science. It's a, um, ah. a specialty of science. So, like, so you would you tag hard, science. So you said hard electronics or science. Hard computer use or hard science. Computer use. Or science mathematics. Yeah, use. I'm going to be aiming for hard computer use because that's my, easily my best bet. And right off the bat, that's a 13, so that's an extreme pass on the computer use. But Ooh, I do look over lovely. at uh, I do look over at um, my, my new fan friend and just go, Ah, oh, buddy, you might want to put on a friend part. We're going to be at this for a bit. <laughs> takes you about half an hour to scan through the spreadsheet and eventually you find a commonality between two of the victims. Telephone records reveal that Dr. Moretti's office and the Harrogate family household both received calls from another household known as the Dangler household. It appears that a Mark Dangler called Dr. Moretti the morning before Moretti's death to confirm an appointment for his son, Thomas, who came in that day for a difficult root canal surgery. Lauren Horrogate also received a call from the Dangler household, this time from the son, Thomas Dangler, who called her the afternoon before her death. However, the contents of this phone call are not available as the Harrogate household is signed up to a do not call registry. That's something. Just uh, does like a quickly clapped his hand, does like a uh is the chair I'm on like just a regular chair? Is it like a uh, like swivel chair? It's Where a swivel. It? It's a, it's a, like a cheap okay. swivel office chair. Yeah. So like just just like a little quick uh, like victory lap. Just spins the chair and goes and Dan the man digs up another fun brand. <laughs> All right. So now I'd like you to make an intelligence check, please. All righty. And I'm going to have to push that. That's a 43, so that's going to be a pass. So you run over what you just found in your head, and it appears that two of the victims, the cheerleader and the dentist, are indeed both linked, in that they both had recent contact with the Dengler household, in particular the son, Thomas Dengler. The librarian does not appear to have any link, at least in the phone records, but 
given that she was a librarian at the same high school nice as school, the cheerleader man. Lauren Harrogate, you are, are really to talk. Yeah, yeah you're really to, you're ready to chalk that up as a link as well. Yeah, just sort of starts to writing that down. Obviously, I'm not going to commandeer a uh, whiteboard, but I'll definitely be writing that one down just to be uh, perfectly safe. As soon as, almost as soon as you are done writing it down, you hear the door to the office area open and both Nox Smolder and HG King walk in, having completed their investigations for the day. By this point, it is just before 7.30pm. I said, just like, that they look over there and go and, wow, you guys have the best time and grab a seat, grab a cup of coffee, we got them. Fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> you spend the next 10 or 15 minutes drinking coffee and catching each other up on what you've found. And then when you're done, the door slams open once again. And Detective Gregson walks in. An angry look written on her face, her face blushing of red that almost matches her hair. She sits down on the table next to you and slams her fist and says, God fucking damn it. She says, I've spent all day trying to get the press off our ass and would you look at this? She reaches for the TV remote next to the coffee machine, points it at the TV hanging above the office area and turns it on. The first thing you see is grainy nighttime footage of what appears to be Nox Smolder poking around the park Ugh. with night vision goggles ah. on. God damn it. Jeez, man, we left you alone for what? A few hours? I'm Georgia Halloway from Phenomenex, and as you can see here, we have exclusive evidence of FBI agents investigating one of the crime scenes. This FBI... How the hell did they, the they know we're FBI if they weren't close yeah, enough to get a look at the badge? Exactly. Yeah. You don't know. And prior to the footage you see here, this FBI agent arrived on the scene and turned away two civilians from the crime scene. For what reason, we can only speculate, but we have yet more evidence that the case of the Glen Ridge chiropractor is in fact a government cover-up, as suggested by our anonymous sources within government agencies. The footage what ends. The fuck? The footage mm -hmm. ends and Hannah turns off the TV. She looks at you all, her lips thin, and she says, You mind explaining what the fuck that was? <laughs> I was going to say, Stan just sort of points at, um, at Mola going, uh, That would be his uh, thing. I've been sitting on my ass, stippling through your uh, unregistered paperwork this whole time. By the way, you really got to give that, uh, that boy of yours, uh, what was his name? Uh, Greg Michelson. Um, that, uh, that, that buddy Michelson there, a uh, nice promotion. He is absolutely fantastic. If I didn't have a computer, he would have been my absolute saving grace. She listens to what you say, and then she just sort of sighs. She lights a cigarette, takes a puff. She says, so, uh, well, press knows the feds are involved now, so, uh, 
She leans back, takes another puff of her cigarette. <clears throat> what have you found out? I hope it was worth it. Lay it on me. Well, I found something that they sure, surely haven't. And I pull out the, fing the finger from my coat pocket and throw it at her. You pull I out really the... hoped you wrapped that again. <laughs> you pull out the decomposed... Oh, oh no, finger attack! You pull out the decomposed <laughs> finger and slide it across the table. Her eyes immediately go wide and her red face pales. She says, That what I fucking think it is? Nah, it's a fucking candy cane. She leans so in and she goes... No, no, Kamaya She leans <laughs> in and she goes, Oh god, that's a fucking index finger. She says, quite old by the looks of it. She says, and you found this at the crime scene? Oh yeah, something your boys must have, must have, must have missed. She says, well, uh, in this case, I'm kind of glad I did. She looks over at HG <coughs> King and Stanley. She says, what about you guys? I suggest you for um, King to go first on his. Well, uh... The bodies seemed uh, to follow the pattern of what your coroner had uh, said, but uh, there are some very interesting details which make me think that this wasn't exactly uh, human, so to speak. She frowns and she's not human? Oh, for fuck's sake, don't tell me you're buying the same theory as those damn reporters. Well, the reporters may uh, report on what might get them ratings. I follow the evidence. And the evidence of this does not quite add up, if you know what I mean. She sighs and she says, God, uh, Look, I brought the FBI in to solve this and... I'm not sure what to think. Alright, look. Let's say you're telling the truth. I'll go along with it for now. What's your next move? <clears throat> well, uh, once I confer with my colleagues here, then we'll know for sure what we're dealing with. She nods. She finishes her smoke, butts it out in the ashtray, and she stands up and she says, Well, I'm going to go debrief with some of the other officers. When you're when you're about to if you're about to go out question anyone, I want to be along. Make sure you don't forget say, to let me know. <laughs> I was gonna say she gets leave. It's like so you don't want to hear what I had. Uh, no, okay. okay. She looks cool, at you cool. and she she looks at you and she sighs. She places her right hand on her hip and she says, "All right, egghead, shoot." I mean, I was gonna say. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not nearly as cool as like finger and then being busted by the press or finding out aliens that's actually really cool by the way and i hope to god it's aliens and not whatever the shit we normally find but i found a connection between all three guys you all three of them are happy victims you inform just, yeah. them that they are all linked with uh the dengler household with thomas dengler in particular <sighs> she frowns she scratches her head she says a link, huh? How did you find that? I've been searching for days, and for the life of me, I couldn't... Made a few inquiries with the local operator of the county. Got the, got the last two phone calls, which, by the way, you might have missed when you were doing your uh, 
I glance over at the table where I was with going filing and yeah no all of them had most well two out of three had uh, connections with uh, the Dengler family and uh, number three while well, she was on the do not call list is a librarian at the school so you do the math bing bada boom we got ourselves the lead she shakes her head and she says well I'm not gonna comment on the phone records but well I think that's an important lead she immediately sits back down at the table and lights up another cigarette. She says, so, what's your plan? We are hitting this, uh, this Dengler household tonight, or you want to wait till tomorrow? Head in when, uh, they're probably, uh, not expecting it. So the other two going, what do you, uh, what do you guys think? Think we, uh, hit this one first thing in the morning, or... I think, think strike with Yaren's heart and try to get as much as we can out of the way with those goddamn reporters. Alright, so we have Smolder voting to go now. It's, yep, just starts about quarter to eight now, so... And, uh, how does our forensic boy feel about this one? Well, I... If we do happen to find anything... It's always the, uh, the freshest bits of evidence that give you the most results. That is true. Um, I am so glad I've had about four cups of coffee in the last couple of hours. <laughs> Take Greg one for the road. <laughs> Gregson sighs. She pulls out her sidearm from her holster, briefly checks it, puts it back in, and she says, Well, I hope you're ready to explain why we're uh, knocking on someone's door in the middle of the night. Well, I guess we'll be going with my uh, my reasonings rather than the other two. Hi, I found a finger in a pot. Can we come inside? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one is yeah. Hi, I found a finger in a pot. The other ones. I think you guys might be involved with aliens. I think I feel out of the uh, the lot of us, my um, yeah, you guys were connected with all the uh, victims recently. Is going to take the <laughs> to get answers out of. I would like Agent Smolder to please make a law check. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, can I push that? Yes, you can. Thank you. Okay, that is a 44, which is for me... Can I spend two luck points? Yes, you can. Thank you. So, you do know from your grasp of investigations and law that given that Stanley has actually established a link between the three victims and this boy, Thomas... And this boy, Thomas Stengler, that's enough to give you probable cause, which means that uh, basically you are at least entitled to ask to come inside the house and speak to him. Ta-da! <laughs> Sorry, Stanley's kind of in his element with this sort of stuff after the last... Uh... <laughs> Lot of fun things that all went to shit. He's just exactly. happy to have a, a mostly relatively decent thing where he can actually work on. Hannah Gregson stands up. She says, All right, I'm going to make a couple of phone calls and then I'll meet you at the car. She heads off towards the office. Is there anything you would, any preparations you would like to make before you head out to the Dengler household? Hmm. 
I vaguely remember you mentioning before that we had to work on um, trying to find a way to cover this up. What did that entail exactly? Basically, find a way that the police department can explain this off as a mundane thing. So basically, find a way to basically dispose of any evidence of it being supernatural and then basically lead them to the conclusion that, yeah, it was just a really fucked up serial killer. Okay. If indeed the supernatural is involved here, and you are strongly suspecting it is at this point. Yeah. 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 I'll have to work on that, especially now that we've mentioned that there might not be a uh, entirely human case. That is true. Okay, so. Any last minute preparations? Um. Hmm. I think I'm good. And I will point out that so far the evidence of it being a supernatural case would be mainly right now the crime scene reports and the vials of grey liquid and also the coroner's report <clears throat> on the grey liquid. Hmm. So HG King and Nox Smolder, any last minute preparations before you head out for this nighttime house call? Uh, no, I'm mm. uh, um, um, good. I don't have any anything to do. Alrighty. No, actually, no preparation. Yep. I'm pretty good prep wise. Got all right. Got all my kit and everything. Okay, so could, could I roll like an intelligence idea check just to start working on an idea for the, uh, Eventual alibi that we're going to yeah, need. Yeah, sure. Go ahead and make an idea check. Uh, what's a 14, which I believe, if I check my intelligence, is... Ah, one off an extreme, but it's a hard pass nonetheless. So uh, what's that going to get me so as far? You, as you... As everyone else packs up their stuff, uh, looks on the map to see where to go to get to the Dengler household and prepares to leave, you quickly run some internet searches on... um. Strange unsolved crimes, <coughs> excuse me, in this region. And um, you find that there seems to be kind of an unhealthy fascination with ritualistic cults in this area. There is also, of course, the unsolved, decades-old case of the Long Island serial killer. And you realise that you could probably grab both these angles... Um, yeah, easily go and stay the like a um a copycat yeah, taking the... homage to that in a sort of ritualistic style uh, murders. Yeah, and that would probably be enough to satisfy the press, except for Phenomenex, of course, who are never going to give yeah, up. Yeah, but most people don't usually pay attention to that, except for whack jobs and late night junkies, myself included. And so long as so long as the vials of grey matter and the coroner's reports on it are disposed of then yeah, we're gonna have to do something on that one yeah the story should be should fly solid solid well i'll uh, so file that away for now file it away in your brain and you close your laptop and um you as you walk out you join the others and you're just humming the pokemon theme because <laughs> you're in high spirits, you've basically solved, figured out how to solve that objective. 
and you meet up with uh, meet up with Detective Gregson. She gestures towards your rented car and then towards the police SUV, and she says, "Yours or mine? Which one?" Uh, depends. How old are you? I'm guessing you know the area better than us, so uh, we tend to be uh, <laughs> less than lucky with directions. So I don't suppose you want to. Uh, Point us in there. No, show us the way. She reaches into her pocket, pulls out a black keyring, and presses a button. You hear the doors on the SUV unlock, and she gestures for you to climb inside. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Once you are all in, she turns on the engine. The engine purrs loudly, much stronger than the car you've been driving. And she begins to slowly navigate the dark streets of Glenridge, Long Island. The Dengler family live in northern Glenridge in a three-story suburban house which faces the Great Peconic Bay. I would like each of you to make an intelligence check as you drive towards the house. Uh, that is a 52 which is... Can that be oh, pushed? That can Pass. be pushed, yes. Uh, is that an intelligent check? Yep. Yep, pass by three. Uh, the hard parts. As, uh, as Detective Gregson parks the, parks the SUV on the curb in front of the Dengler's suburban house, in their relatively normal uh, waterfront-facing upper-middle-class suburban street, Pit of information pops into your mind. You realise that the house faces the Great Peconic Bay, and it was in a tree on the shoreline of the Great Peconic Bay, where the body of the second victim, the librarian, Miss Hanbert, was found. I.e., yeah. basically, very close to this house. Interesting, interesting. You climb out of climb out of the SUV, make your way up the driveway, and stand in front of the ornately carved wooden front door. You see a small white button to the left of it, the doorbell. Who would like to press it? I was going to say, do we want to let the uh, local authority uh, take point and we'll just ask questions when we can? Any objections to that? No. Alright. Nope. You all nod collectively at Hannah. She nods back, sighs, and presses the button. You hear from inside their house, ding, ding, a tone that epitomizes domesticity. Ah, for fuck's sake, who is it at this hour? Coming! You hear a voice from the other side. You hear the door being unlocked, and then it opens, and you find yourself face to face with a solidly built, middle-aged man with blonde hair, wearing a numbered football guernsey. He looks at you all, and he frowns, and he says, Look, do you know what fucking time it is? I don't fucking want anything. Then he notices Hannah wearing her police uniform. He's about, he stops in the midst of shutting the door. 
she holds up her badge and she says, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Dangler, but, uh, we're investigating the recent murders and we would like to ask your son Thomas a few questions. The man frowns and he says, God fucking damn it, no. You ain't asking my son anything. He's got nothing to do with nothing. Anything you'd like to ask can go through me. Until you explain what the fuck you're doing here. Uh, let's take this one. Actually, if this guy's getting hostile, probably let the uh, the big guy in the group uh, handle the uh, conversation. So I just could just for uh... Yep. I'm sorry, what? What's going on? You're dealing with the uh, the the rough and tough fella while we cow yeah, behind the you. The rough and tough. The father doesn't want to let you. I'm sure as shit. Not, I was gonna say I'm not yeah. caring, but yeah, I don't feel like. Uh, Getting my glasses broken over something like this. So, uh, yeah, big, big man, you're, uh, you're up to explain the situation. The father doesn't want to let you in to talk to his father, to talk to his son, Thomas. No, He's no. basically demanded, what the fuck are you doing I'm, here? I'm, uh, I'm, not that, I'm not that big. Uh, my size is only 50. Yeah, but you do have, um, you do have the highest level of authority here because it turns yeah. out, uh, <laughs> Hannah flashing her badge just seemed to aggravate him more. Yeah, plus, you know, you're like the one physical guy out of us, because, you know, between, uh... Science King, nerd and yeah, computer nerd. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, underweight science nerd and overweight computer nerd, you're uh, pretty much the only guy that could really put up any kind of, uh, solid appearance here, so, um... If we're going intellectually, then yes, I'm fine, but you're, uh... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, if it, if it involves a computer screen or something like that, I got it, but... Pissed off, angry, potential New Yorker going to kick my head in? Well, all yours, Chief, go nuts. <laughs> so what would you like uh, to say, Knox? All right, like I flash in my FBI badges like, listen, listen here, it's a federal, a federal offense to get in between an officer and their work. Now, are you going to let us through or not? Make a law check with advantage, because you already did determine before that you have um, probable cause here. Yeah, okay, it's a 17, so that's already passed. Let's go for gold. No. Okay. Take the, take, just take the win. <laughs> uh, hard pass. You inform yeah. him that it's a crime to obstruct an investigation, and then you tell him that his son has been linked peripherally to all three murders, and as you have probable cause, you would like to ask him a few questions. He sighs and he says, All right, come the fuck inside. But I'll be in, my wife and I will be in the room while you ask your questions. Understand? Just don't get in the way of the police business. I ain't gonna let time. you talk my son into admitting he's responsible for something he didn't do. Look, I, know I know what know you what guys are like. I don't know what you've seen on TV, but we don't play like things, play, play like that here. He just goes, shakes his head and lets you into the house. I will hold you in contempt. You are led into a rather nicely decorated entrance hall with a staircase leading upstairs and a, a small, uh, a small sort of uh, waiting, a small sort of sitting room slash lounge filling up the other half of it with some plastic covered recliners and a 
uh, and a sofa chair and a TV that's turned off. You can hear the sound of a sports game playing on a TV in another room down the hallway and Mr. Dengler slowly leads you down towards this room. As you approach it, he shouts out, Eloise, got some cops here, they want to talk to Tom. A woman calls back, he's having a shower, honey, bring them into the lounge so they can wait. He sighs and he gestures towards the open door, open archway at the end of the hall and he says, just head on through to the lounge, Thomas will be with you shortly. Wait, didn't, didn't you just say there was the sound of some sort of video game being played? Uh, for, sorry, sports game. Okay. Yeah, he was watching, he was watching football or something. Yeah. Um, you head in, you head through the archway into the lounge where, uh, this is, so the lounge that you passed on the way through was clearly there. You know when people have like two lounges and one of them never gets used, it's just for decoration? Yeah. yeah. That was the decoration lounge. This is the proper lounge with the comfortable looking sofa and the armchairs and the big screen TV that's currently uh, replaying. Um, that's uh, currently replaying an old taped football game. Uh, big TV. I mentioned the size of a big TV back in 1994. <laughs> yes. A um, a kindly looking middle aged woman with uh. A yellow polka dot dress and curly light brown hair sits on the sofa watching the TV. She looks at you as you enter, followed by her husband. She frowns and she says, Please, please officers, uh, take a seat. Uh, can I get you anything? Coffee, tea, water, beer? No fun, ma'am. Say so Stanley's hands kind of half shaking. Going, ah, I'm good. I'm good for coffee for a little while, thanks. <laughs> you take some. You take a seat, and there's an awkward silence for a minute or two as you all just watch the watch the taped football game, and you can hear the sound of the shower running upstairs, which is presumably Thomas. After a while, Mrs. Dengler clears her throat, and she said, "So, uh, you said you were here to speak to Thomas." Alright, you take it, Stan. You you know all about it. I was going to say, yeah, we, looking in the evidence, we noticed that your your kid had, uh, well, some, uh, all the phone numbers seem to have your kid uh, as most recently in contact before two of the uh, of the victims. And uh, we're not accusing, we'd like to point out, we are not accusing your kid of anything. We're just trying to follow all possible leads, and this is currently the best one we have. She frowns and she says, you're saying Thomas made phone calls to the people who were murdered? She looks over at her husband and he says, No, no, that wasn't Thomas that called the dentist, that was me. I was confirming the appointment for that morning, you fucking idiots. Just, like, try really hard to just... Mm-hmm, okay, but there's also the fact that he had calls with, uh, what was the... Julia's um, name? Her name was Lauren Harrogate. Yeah, with uh, Miss Harrogate, and the fact that the, the library uh, librarian from the school is also at the same school they went to, we are 
Like I said, this is just a lead we're following. We don't mean any harm by it. Obviously, we don't want to. We have no interest in arresting your kids. So, uh, look, I, I guess we're getting off on the wrong foot here. We're just want to ask some questions. It'll probably most likely lead to nothing, and we'll leave you guys on your merry way. Mr. Dengler takes in what you say and he strokes his blonde beard and he says, Harrogate, Harrogate, where I heard that damn name before. His wife says, you know, Lauren, that cheerleader that Thomas was sweet on up until recently. Oh, yeah, her. But didn't he say that she turned him down? Mrs. Dengler says, yeah, he was down for a few days and to think... He'd uh, worked up the courage to ask her out, uh, be building up for weeks. She says, actually, it was out of character for him to just ask a girl out to the prom like that. He's usually a fairly, uh, socially awkward, fairly, uh, socially isolated. Hannah leans forwards and she says, So, did you notice any behavioral changes in Thomas lately? Mrs. Dengler thinks for a moment. She says, well, like I said, he's always been a little bit shy. But, I don't know, he's been more confident lately, ever since his 16th birthday. So, I don't know, just something changed in him when he turned 16. At this, Mr. Dengler looks over, he says, it was because of that damn fucking amulet you gave him. Um, I'm an am amulet? She frowns, she says, oh, uh, yeah, well, uh, my father he used to be an archaeologist, and, well, he passed down a box of old things from Peru and some of his adventures, and, well, I thought it would be cool if, for Thomas's 16th birthday, I gave him one of the old trinkets, a necklace of some kind. He really seemed to, really seemed to like it. He's become really fascinated with archaeology and ancient religions. And, well, he said to me the other day, he actually wants to follow in the footsteps of his father. Oh, you mean his grandfather? His grand, yeah, his grandfather, sorry. What was your grandfather's name, just out of curiosity? She says, oh, well, uh, my father was... I just gonna look him up. Hang on. <laughs> Max Powers. She says, "My father was uh, Doctor Derek Wheeler. My maiden name. I was Eloise Wheeler. I would like uh, H. G. King to make an anthropology check, please. Anthropology okay. or archaeology, whichever one is highest." Uh, I was gonna say this whole thing's just happy red fucking flags. Yep, can I uh, uh, push that? Yep. That is a 25, which is a hard pass. You've heard of Derek Wheeler before. He was a uh, rather famous anthropologist and archaeologist that was mainly active in the 1920s and 30s. Operated out of, attended the University of Pennsylvania from 28 to 33, majoring in archaeology and anthropology. He participated in several exploratory trips abroad, including two expeditions to Peru in South America to investigate the rituals and beliefs of some of the tribes in the area. And you recall actually reading his thesis at one point, which was, to the best of your memory, 
presumably about uh, one Peruvian tribe and their legends surrounding entities known as the Star People. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I would... sorry, I just know where we're going with this. Yep. Out of character, out of <laughs> yeah. character. I would, I would like all three of you to do Cthulhu Mythos checks, actually. Oh, oh, that's a hey, good roll, but not good enough. You haven't fully figured it out yet, don't worry. I rolled exactly right. I got ten. Fuck yes. So you, so you, are Stanley, you've heard about star people in the darkest recesses of the internet. You know that some of them call them by a different name. The Mego. Extraterrestrial life forms that essentially posed as gods for a number of ancient civilizations. Something tells you there's more to this than that. But you've already received confirmation uh, that something paranormal is definitely at work here. Aloise, Aloise seems to notice that you are interested in the mention of her father, and she smiles and she says, I still have uh, most of father's notes if you'd like to look at them in your own time, if you think it would help. I mean, like I said, we want to check all leads, so yeah, I'd, uh, if, if you got them, I'd be happy to give them a look over. She says, oh, I'll dig them out of storage. I'll." I'll bring them to you. She stands up and she leaves the room while her husband just glares at you. After a moment, the sound of the running water upstairs stops. And about five minutes later, the father looks at you and he says, Well, Thomas will be in his room by now. Feel free to go up and ask your questions and then get the fuck out of my house. I'll leave you two to go and look that up while I'm uh, looking through the uh, paperwork. Yep. You sure you wouldn't rather leave the person who knows about archaeology to do it? Actually, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> well, you both go up to speak to him. Ah, oh, fair so, call, fair call. HG King, any objections to that arrangement? No, so I sat down, I just sort of uh, asked them to just keep an eye out for anything that, and like, Injuries or anything like that that could link him. Yep. And, uh... Sure. Um. So, Knox, Knox, uh, Smolder, and Stanley, you head upstairs while HG King remains downstairs to wait for Derek's notes. You eventually find Thomas's bedroom up on the second floor, a white wooden door with the name Thomas printed on it in carefully stenciled letters. Do you knock on it, or do you just barge in? It's a, you know, high school kid. You don't just barge into their room, man. Some protocols. You knock on the door, and you hear a nasally voice shout. Hello! You hear a nasally voice shout. Mom, I'm busy! I'm about to finish this raid in EverQuest! <laughs> <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> all right, all right. Well played, sir. Well played. Well done. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not your mom, it's the FBI. would like to speak to you a little while. Questions for me? 
Okay, well, come on in, but make it quick. I'm supposed to be tanking. <laughs> bitch. You grab the doorknob and slowly push the Stanley's door open. Just, yep, Stanley's Stanley's just, just, I just stand all of this. Just, yep. mm, mm. <laughs> you enter into you enter into Thomas's room, which is lit only by the fluorescent glare of his computer screen. Through the very dim light, you could just make out piles of unsorted clothes scattering across the floor. Empty. Uh, empty potato chip packets and drink cans and on the wall just above a very messy unmade bed a poster depicting the game everquest a large busted scantily clad female elf clutching a sword and looking demurely no, at whoever's Sorry? Uh, I, I believe it was a staff, I remember the poster. Oh yeah, it's a staff, that's right, yeah. Well, who's just... role-playing the nerd? I was gonna say, who's yeah. role-playing the nerd in this game? You or me? <laughs> <laughs> Thomas looks to be an average teenage boy, he's not particularly handsome, and he is quite overweight, but he lacks the acne which plagues many of his contemporaries. No doubt, his stature, his obvious awkwardness, and his lack of confidence would have granted him a loser status at high school. Uh, breaks the heart. He looks... Yeah, that's the poster. I'll just show that to everyone. I'll show that to everyone. <laughs> <in the street>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely got to share that one with everyone. <laughs> um, so, he... He turns around on a... Uh, on a big, office, big leather office chair that's covered in drink stains and Cheetos dust. And as he turns to face you, I'd like you both to make spot hidden checks, please. Certainly. A one. Ooh, okay. one. I was gonna say, years of living through the uh, same, yeah, the same experience has left me to uh, know exactly what to look for in this room and see whatever doesn't fit in. And I go to 28, which is a normal pass. Lovely. You notice that somehow Thomas has managed to fit a cloth necklace around his rather generously sized neck. <laughs> and on the end of it appears to be some sort of stone carving. Oh. Oh, that ain't good. I'll just uh, bring... I'll just show chat it appears to be something vaguely south or central american something vaguely aztec looking and you can see that it depicts some sort of winged horned creature a bird or a bird or a reptile of some winged reptile of some description or maybe perhaps even a demon. Thomas clears his throat and he says, So, uh, what can I help you with? And uh, don't make me talk too much. I'm still recovering from my root canal. Uh, Alright, so, you're the one with the questions. I mean, technically, they're all our questions. I'm just the one who got the evidence together, man. Mm -hmm. Uh... uh <laughs> 
Do you want to talk to the nerd or should I? <laughs> well, uh, you could talk you, to him nerd, nerd to nerd. Dragon. Yeah, you could talk to him <laughs> nerd to nerd. <laughs> Go on there. Look, 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 bro. Uh, we're just uh, trying to work out some stuff on the uh, the well, the uh, murders that have been going around in. Uh, sadly, it, much like uh, Sports Day, kid, you uh, you somehow got picked last, and uh, we're just here to follow up on uh, what you know about uh, the people in the town, such as the dentist, your. Uh, uh, what was the hell was goddamn? I blanked on uh, the name again. Lauren was the cheerleader. Yeah, Lauren and, and Miss Leib and Miss uh, Miss Hatton was Vanessa Hatton was the yeah. library librarian. Yeah, and it seems that the only thing the three of them had in common was that they were all in contact with you before they all went meh, before they all you know turned up. So uh, we're we're just looking to check some things, see if it all goes out, and don't worry, I. <laughs> Oh, we want to get out of here just as quickly as you are. I know how important the raid is, kid. Mm. He gestures his bulbous arms, and he says, Do I look like I could kill someone? Look, I haven't gone down hey, that skill whoa. tree yet. Hey, whoa, whoa, bro. Whoa, whoa. Just easy, 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 buddy. We're not saying you killed anyone. We're just saying we got to check what you know. That's all I'm saying. He says, oh, well, let me think. Well, uh, the dentist gave me the root canal and he was an asshole like I kept telling him how much it hurt I wanted him to give me more laughing gas and he was a tight ass and he wouldn't give it to me he says I'm still in pain now and he rubs his bottom chin he says he says that bitch Mrs. Hatton told me off for playing EverQuest on the school library computers he said, thanks to her, I got a week's detention. He says, and, and well, he says, and don't get me started on Lauren. I called her up, asked her out to the prom, and she rejected me laughing. Uh, pain, pain I know all too well, kid. Pain I know all too well. But you don't think it's weird that, uh... You got angry at all these people and somehow they all turned up like this? He says, he thinks for a moment and he says, Nah, cause I didn't kill him, but I gotta say whoever did kill him's got great taste. What? I was gonna say, I'm still looking on. Guess that's a, that's a funky looking, looking necklace you got going on around your neck. You, uh, anything, any, uh, anything different? About that, when you were getting mad at any of this stuff, I know these are odd questions, but uh, consider this like a side quest right at the moment, you know. <laughs> I would like uh, Stanley to please make a fast talk check with advantage. Uh, not gonna be necessary. I rolled a ten, which I believe. Oh wait, no shit. I need a five just to pass that because I don't actually have it. God damn it! Oh uh, yeah, can I roll? Can I roll the five? Uh, can I just spend the five luck point for that? Yes, you can. I'm He's... putting out of luck, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> he holds the amulet in his hand, and he looks at it, and he says, Oh, this? It's a gift from my grandpa. He told me it's, uh, an eye upper, whatever that is. I just think it's cool, and wearing it makes me feel really cool. Only thing I is... Upper. Yeah, eye upper. Only thing is, ever since I started wearing it, 
I've been getting these strange nightmares. Alright, lay, lay on me, man. Anything, uh, anything weird out of the ordinary? He says, well, I keep having these dreams that I'm like... I'm like in some sort of dark place, right? Like, some sort of... It's all grey and pointy mountains and the sky is just this big swirling void of white. There are these things, they're like black with wings and they don't have faces. And in the dream, they pledge themselves to me. They call me their master. And then they say, I will, they will do my bidding as the holder of the sacred key. And even though there's nothing too scary about the dream, aside from the fact that they don't got faces, I always wake up in a sweat. Right. What reaction do you have to that? Not gonna lie, that is some, that is some, that is some real trippy stuff, man. I gotta, I gotta be honest, I, you gotta stop eating the Cheetos before bed, trust me, I know, I know how it goes. You start off feeling okay, then you start getting the nightmares and stuff, and, uh, yeah, weird creatures from other places start, uh, calling you master. Do they give you any other names? He says, no, no names, but they mention that, that their master calls them from the dreamland into the real world. It's like, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, that, uh, this master you speak of, um, can they tell you anything more about him? He says, no, I can never remember much of the dreams, aside from that. He says, but, my grandpa, he knew all about this amulet, if it's got something to do with that, I'm sure he wrote it down somewhere. At this, uh, at, um... Oh, at, oh, yep, sorry. I was yep. gonna say, at this point, there's a loud beep from his computer. He turns and he picks up a plastic microphone and he barks down at, Alright, alright! Look, just keep healing, I'll be there in a second! And then he turns back... <laughs> he, he turns back to you and he says, Is that all? I gotta get back to this raid! Uh, look, kid. Yeah, I was gonna say, bro, understand totally what you're on about. Um... Is it okay? Now, I know this is a tough question because I know how this shit and this stuff important to you, but I got to love with you. Would it be okay if just while we're working this stuff out with your uh, your grandpa's notes, could we borrow that amulet just to make sure that uh, if it turns up in anything, we just want to make sure that we're working on the right thing and not some other random funky amulet he might have found in his travel? He looks very hesitant. Make a hard persuade check. Uh... I suppose. Let, uh, let, it, tell him. Uh, huh? Tell him you can uh, give him one of your Pokemon games. Or you could share Pokemon <laughs> tips. 
Or... Yeah. Tell them about Missingo. <laughs> or Nox Mulder can just go full-on bad cop and be like, Look, kid, you don't want to end up in bars, give us a fucking amulet. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, oh, I was gonna say if, uh, if he's playing, um... Um, EverQuest. EverQuest. yeah. I was gonna say, Stanley could just look over and go, I suppose, uh, I looked at the, um, the, the radiothon going, look, I don't suppose you want some, uh, tips on how to get through this. I'm sort of an old hand at this. I know my way around this one. Uh, trust me, it, it's a bit of a, bit of a hassle if you don't know exactly where to go. What, what do you say? You let me borrow that for a little bit, I give you some tips on that. Second, we uh, all this stuff checks out. It's, it's back in your hands, and you come out looking like an absolute champion. What do you say? You can mm. make a normal persuade check. Hey. Oh, cool. Either way, I don't have fucking persuade, but hey. Ah, <laughs> uh, come on. At least get me something low. Holy shit! I rolled a seventy-three and then a goddamn ten. Hey. <laughs> That's a just a pass. Oh, nerds speak for the win. You spend you spend about five minutes rearranging his hot bar with all his characters' abilities and showing him which ones to use at different points of the fight. And he seems to ever. be a much more effective tank now. So he yanks the amulet around his bulbous neck and he hands it to you. He says, "I want it back in one piece. That thing's priceless." Eh, no, no problem, no problem, buddy. Just good luck, officers! Ugh. Goddamn nerds. You get up and you, you... You bid farewell to him. You leave and you shut the door behind you and as you walk down the hallway, you just hear from his bedroom, Your mom's got no defense, Brady! <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, just put like uh, as I put, make sure the um, amulet put like in an evidence bag that's not physically. I'm not having to touch it. Just put my hand over it, just going. Ah, uh, the language, <laughs> the language of Victor. Such mean- a <laughs> Meanwhile, HG King <laughs> is downstairs, and while this is happening, HG King is just patiently waiting. Until Eloise returns with a big cardboard box held in her arms. It's filled with leather-bound diary, leather-bound journals, rolled-up scrolls of paper, and miscellaneous loose sheets of parchment. She places it on the floor in front of you, and she takes a step back and she smiles, and she says, oh, Feel free to take a look. Hell, if you need to take it back to the station with you, Feel free. We just want to help. Well, that might be best. As soon as the, uh, I'll have a bit of a look through it now, but uh, don't want to overstay our welcome. So if it's all right with you, we will take the what we need and we'll bring it back to you as soon as uh, we have finished looking through it all. God fucking damn, Eloise, says the father. He's going to take it. He's going to put it in that big fucking filing cabinet they all got that's got everyone's fucking medical records and birth certificates and all that other shit. You ain't ever gonna see it again. Dumb broad. I would like you to please make an... Either a... You may make a library use check or an anthropology check. Um, those same things, so... <laughs> Alright, so library use check then, please. That is a 45, so that is a pass. 
So while the others are interrogating the sun, which takes about 20 minutes to half an hour, you and Hannah slowly go over all of Derek Wheeler's notes. It seems that Wheeler spent his last year in study abroad in Lima, Peru, compiling notes about the many ancient ruins which dot the grasslands leading up into the mountains. During this time, Wheeler collected local stories concerning the construction of the tiers of stonework which dot the mountainsides. He found an odd fact interlaced with the story of their creation. Many of the locals spoke of creatures known as the Star People, which served as their gods. And the warrior priests who would serve the Star People well would be rewarded with sacred keys that would allow them to call the Eye Upper spectral dream servants that lived in the dream world that the priests could use to help build sanctuaries, hunt, or even to attack enemies of the tribe. It is said that the Eye Upper helped in great numbers to move the huge stones used to build the odd structures that, that Wheeler found on his expedition. The local religion and language clearly separates beasts of nature from creatures of fancy, however. So when these Ayapa and these people of the sky people were described as real creatures as opposed to fictional or mythical, Wheeler became intrigued. His obsessive pursuit of this odd fact led to him abandoning his thesis work, which in turn brought about his dismissal from the university in 1933. I would like you to now roll an anthropology check, please, to make sense of his less-than-organised post-university notes. Um... Can I use six luck points, please? Yes, you can. Throughout most of the 1930s, Wheeler travelled all over Peru investigating this Eye Upper legend. His notes were eventually compiled by his lawyer after his death in 1975 and were published and are currently stored in the American Museum of Natural History in Manhattan, a drive of about two hours from here. In 1948, Wheeler married Angela Todd, Lurk at the American Embassy in Lima. They lived in Peru until 1964. All the while, Wheeler collected various writings and trinkets about the Eye Upper. In 1964, Wheeler was seriously injured in a fall whilst on an expedition in the Andes and was forced to live the remainder of his days in a wheelchair. The Wheelers then relocated to Angela's hometown of Farmingdale, New York. Of their three children, only Aloise Wheeler remained on the East Coast, and she married Stephen Dengler in, 1990, in 1991, a couple of years after their son Thomas was born. After you are done reading this, you fold up the notes and place them back into the box, and as you stand up, you see... Stanley and Agent Smolder once again emerging into the room. At this point, Hannah stands up. She looks at the other two agents and she says, 
So, boys say anything interesting? Uh, it was all fucking nerd spork. Spork? Nerd spork. Nerd speak to me, man. She shrugs, she says. Look, we'll uh, maybe make sense of it back at the station. Anything else we need to do here? Um, there wasn't, um, uh, Dr. We Dr. Wheeler didn't have a room in the house, did he? Ah, uh, no, he didn't. Okay. This is, that's why all his stuff is in this cardboard box. Yep. You ready to leave and head back to the station for the night? Yeah, I think we are. I think we are. We have the necklace. Thank you for your time. Says Hannah as she bids farewell to uh, to the Danglers. And then she leads you out of the house. You climb back into the SUV. You return to the station. Hannah drops you off. And then she drives home. Her SUV disappearing into the darkness. Its headlights becoming pinpricks before it turns the corner away from the main street. And the rest of you... Make yourselves comfortable in the makeshift bunk room at the back of the police station, crawling into the un crawling into the folding mattresses and hammocks that line the room. Is there anything you'd like to do before you go to sleep? Do you show first of all, do you show the pendant to HGT? I would just like to examine the pendant first. Alright. Well, I'd like you to make a spot hidden check, please. Uh, that is a 21, which is a normal pass. Yes, normal pass. Um, yeah, so the stone appears to be quite old. The creature depicted on it is quite clearly winged, though it does not appear to be a bird. It's a fanciful carving of some sort of mythical creature. Perhaps the eye upper. Staring at it fills you with an odd sense of unease if you look at it for too long. Yeah, let's let's not do that. <laughs> Would HG King like to quickly examine it? Um, does the symbol on the necklace, like, were there any symbols in the notes that match up? There weren't, but if you do an anthropology check, you may glean something. Alright. Uh, that is a 63, so can I use three luck points? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes you can. Yep. So that's a pass. Um, so, you take the amulet from Nox Smolder and turn it around in your hands and look at it under the uh, light of the small lamp on the uh, on the cabinet next to your next to your sofa bed and you determine that it is definitely Central American specifically Aztec and narrowing it down further you recognize it uh, you recognize its manner of construction as being a hallmark of the Chavin people. A small tribe from central Peru that was subjugated by the Aztec Empire. And you know that the Chavin 
are the ones who primarily are worshipped the star people and the eye upper. If you wish to know more, perhaps tomorrow it might be good to take a visit to uh, the American Museum of Natural History and peruse their vast library. Hmm. With that, you all turn in for the night, quickly falling asleep despite the less than comfortable arrangements and the ever-present sense of unease that seems to emanate from the amulet. You each gain one sen, as while the amulet is in your proximity, you find that you dream, you find that you sleep peacefully. You have strange dreams of, like all three of you to make power checks, please. Joy. You gain one sen, you have peaceful sleep, make a power check. (laughs) Yeah, just to see what you... Oh, that's, that's not the right dice. That's a 24, which is a hard pass. Hard pass. Okay, so both of you pass. You seem to have oddly pleasant dreams. Dreams where you are standing at the very top of a vast stone pyramid that overlooks a featureless grey plain dotted with dotted with sharp black obsidian spires and a roiling, swirling sky of grey storm clouds overhead. Before you is a crowd of black, pitch black humanoid figures with leathery bat-like wings staring up at you with featureless faces as you watch them. They crouch down onto their knees and begin to worship. They they call out in unison, All serve the holders of the sacred key! You wake up with a sweat in the early hours of the morning, the first rays of sunlight poking into the tiny room. Make sand checks, please. That's a pass. That is exactly my san. <laughs> so, for passing, you gain one san. Holy shit. Yay! Yay. <laughs> a san roll that actually worked for me. As you look around and recover from the dreams, from the dream you just had, you were jolted back to reality by the sound of two cell phones going off simultaneously. One of them is Stanley's, with its usual rendition of the Pokemon theme, echoing through the tiny room. The other one is the more generic of Nox Mulder's cell. You got the socks, man. You hear, you hear breathing on the other end, and... You hear breathing on the other end, and then you hear the familiar voice of Detective Gregson saying, God fucking damn it, who went over our heads? Do you know anything about this? 
Whoa, 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 slow down. What, what exactly are you talking about? She said, look, I just got up. First thing out of bed, I get a phone call. Apparently, some assholes from the... Some assholes from the, uh... Army's Criminal Investigation Command have decided to take over the damn case. They're saying that all of the murders have been committed by some, uh former special forces guy on the run they're taking over everything they're gonna turn up here later today and they want me and you to hand over everything we fucking found so far what, what exactly have you told them that we have she says well I, I told them we've got reports we've got physical evidence they said we have to turn it all over and when they arrived today they gave us an ETA of Two o'clock this afternoon. When they turn up, as soon as they turn up, it's going under their jurisdiction. She swears again. Fuck! Well, the good news is you didn't tell them what the physical evidence we have, so we can give them the bare minimum. Because I would still like to study um, Dr. Derek Wheeler's work and his necklace a bit more. Yes, by going to the by going to the library. And yeah. you, you tell her about this and she says, American Museum of Natural History? Shit, that's in Manhattan. That's like two hours away. Oh, shit. She says, look, you get up, make sure you're ready. I'm coming down to the station. We'll, we'll figure out what to do next, okay? Yeah, then right, she, we'll, we'll, we'll see you soon. You hang up. Now, uh, where's M2? I notice he's muted. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Oh, I was yep. wondering. Uh, that's right, because I had the cough before. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, yes. So, um, Stan, okay. you answer. You hear your phone ringing at the same time. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. Do go for Stan the Man. Hacker. Yeah, I was going to say, go for Stan the Man. How can I help you? You hear, you hear a deep breath on the other end, and then... Special Agent Bird... This is, uh, Special Agent, uh, Special Agent Clark. Uh, you remember me? Uh, we met briefing yesterday, FBI branch office. Uh, yeah, yeah. How can I do, how can I do for you? Says, uh, look, there is movement going on above our heads. Uh, I need, I need one or, one or two of you to come and meet me, okay? Uh, you got a pen and paper handy? Uh, yep, give me half a second. Reach for a nearby pen and paper, and he says, I need you to meet me at, uh, this truck stop, the four-star truck stop, uh, now and a half out of town, uh, find it on highway, uh, on, uh, third left turn off, uh, off the highway. I'll be waiting there, booth in the back. I don't know if this works somehow. He says, uh, don't all come. Uh, I would tell you over the phone, but I'm pretty certain someone's listening. Let's not try to get attention. One or two of you at the most. Okay? I'll see you soon. He hangs up. You all look at each other. You all look at each other. How would you like to do this? First of all, I'd like to, obviously, I, did I hear everything, or did we explain what each of the phone calls were about? Yeah, you quickly fill each other in on the phone call. 
It's like yeah, Stanley's going to start immediately sweating the second he stopped mentioning military going, guys, you do realize who that is, right? No. The, the military people high up investigation. Dude, it's got to be those fucking stoots that tried to kill us the, uh, the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 guy, the guys, black suits, not yep. particularly friendly. Who else could possibly go over our heads on this? I completely forgot about the military. Yeah. <laughs> Forget it, they're in black. Yeah. <laughs> they are like the villains of this campaign, so... Um, so, you have two things you may do. You can all go and meet up with Special Agent Clark, even though he did specify one or two at the most. You can all go together. There is also some more research that may be done about Derek Wheeler's amulet, if think you have the if you think you would like to risk the two to four hours that would be required to get to the Museum of Natural History in Manhattan and back again. Uh... The only lucky thing is that the truck stop that you were advised to go to is about the same amount of distance out of town as Manhattan is. So either way, you're both going to be out of town but either way, each destination is about the same amount of distance away from the town of Glenridge. Okay. So... How do we go about this? Because obviously, how long do we have until the um, the other guys are back? You glance at the digital uh, at the digital alarm clock next to your fold-out mattress. It says it is currently ten past nine in the morning. Okay, and how... And you've oh, got what, until I'm, two I'm... in the afternoon. So that's how long exactly that's... So you've got... Five, uh, five you, hours. Yeah, you've got about just enough time to get to one of these locations if you all go together, both if you split up, and maybe another extra hour to uh, pick up the uh, canisters of Grey Goo and the reports, okay. which you yeah, can probably do go, on the way. And... Yeah, we're going to have to do that shit. Mm. Uh, yeah, we fuck. might have to split up if we want, want to uh, yeah. get all the evidence. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I was going to say, I'll go and meet with, um, yeah, the agent. If, imagine probably King would probably be the best one to go and pick up the, um, like, evidence. Go to the library, stuff, yeah. Already... Pick up the evidence. Cause he's already got a rapport with that guy. Plus, he knows his way around the library, so. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, uh, doctor, uh, the, the archaeologists. Yeah. Uh, so, here. so where would Knox like to go? Uh, what's left? So, you can <clears throat> either go with Stanley to meet Agent Clark at the truck stop, or you can go with uh, King to the history museum and uh, do some research on Wheeler's amulet. Whoever Wait, is he going to the museum or is he going to pick up like the evidence and stuff? Well, well we pick he's going to pick it up on the, on the way. way. Yeah. Hey, I'm just sorry. I'm just working realistical yeah. in how long yeah, no, I he's... would imagine it would take yeah. me to go well, through the history of natural history museum. Because yeah. the the evidence the morgue is just on the way. It's only going to take like 10, 15 minutes to ask the oh, doctor okay. and stuff. That, that's um, why I was confused. Yeah. You when you were saying, well, what do you want to do? When there was and three things. Whoever you don't go with. Uh, Detective Gregson will go with them. 
I think I might go with Stan the Man. Alright, so you're going to meet the agent. So King Gregson is with you. You inform mm -hmm. her that you're going to head over to the museum. And do you tell her about the other phone call? Um, I mean, I could just sit there and say that it's just her higher-ups informing us of similar situation that she's been informed about. So you, you say you're going to go figure out what's going on with this uh, order that's been handed down. And she walks up to King, she pats her gun holster, and she says, Alright, I get to go with the handsome doctor then, a day out in the museum. Fantastic. <laughs> you smooth criminal, you. <laughs> and make sure we're back in time, so uh, no start seeing you crazy kids. <laughs> You all agree, and then you sprint out into the car park. King and Hannah climb into the police SUV, while Stanley and Knox get into their rented car. You wave each other goodbye and good luck, and then set out your sep on your separate roads, screeching through the city. Are there any last-minute preparations you would like to make? Is there any more that I could could get? Like, obviously, it's a couple of hours' drive from the. Um, the notes about the amulet and all of that. Well, actually, you did well enough on your rolls last night that you were able to glean the majority of the information, so cool. the rest of it would probably be in the museum. Yep. So you're fine. What about Stanley and Knox? Any last-minute preparation? Just get a long, fairly long drive ahead of you. I guess just fill up on some snacks. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what else could we possibly do. Like, already worked out. Yep. Like, Al uh, the main story, how to make the uh, story, the cover up story work, but uh, I know with everything happening with the uh, possible MIB coming down on us, this could be a uh, very problematic situation. Yeah. Make, make sure my gun's all cleaned and. Yeah, make sure your gun is ready to go. Lovely. So you clean it as. You make sure it's clean, you make sure it's loaded, safety's off as you gun the engine. Very oh, well. We'll go with... Oh, yes, you've got Kevlar. I forgot. Yes. Make sure that is nice, that is fitted under your coat. And you shall go with H.G. King first. So first of all, H.G. King, I assume you're stopping at the morgue? Yes. You stop at the morgue. You park the car... Um, Hannah parks the car, like, on an angle in the middle of the car park. She climbs out and runs to the door of the clinic and shouts, Come on, come on! You catch up to her, and you barrel in through the, through the lobby, which is empty this early in the morning, and begin walking as fast as you can down the hallway to the morgue. As you pass, as you pass the staff room... You see the tired-looking receptionist. He sees you pass by. He waves and says, Hey, Dr. Pred, got to see you again. <laughs> you just, just keep walking. <laughs> you just keep walking. And then you push open the doors to the morgue. The coroner is waiting, hunched over one of the bodies doing his best examination of the mangled mass of gored flesh in front of him. He stands up as you approach. He says, 
Oh, Dr. King. Wasn't expecting you back so soon. I was just taking another look at everything we found here. Thought that maybe with some of those things you said, I might notice something I missed before. He notices the look on your... He notices the look on on Hannah's face, and then he frowns. He says, what's the matter? I uh, don't have much time to explain it, but I do need all of the unnatural uh, samples, uh, and you might want to just put the bodies, uh, store them away for the time being, if you know what I mean. He says, so all the grey goo, my report, and just store away the bodies. Yes, just just until I, until you come and see me, uh, until I come and see you again. He says, and uh, this seems urgent. May I ask what's going on? Probably best you don't know, but just uh, if you can help it, try not to let these uh, bodies go to anyone but me. I would like uh, HG King to do a persuade <sighs> check, please. Persuade, okay. Let's have a good roll of this one. And that is a 50, which is a no. <laughs> would you like to push that? Oh, let's try and see. Oh, that is a 12, so I'm going to use two luck points. Yep. Hey. <laughs> he doesn't, he looks at you puzzled, uncertain what's going on, but he nods. He says, okay, I'll wait until I've heard from you. And he heads over to the receptionist counter that he's using as a desk. He gathers up all the vials of grey goo and a stack of papers that are his reports on what he's found, and he presses them into your arms. Appreciate your uh, your dedication to the craft, good sir. Good luck, Dr. King, and be careful, he says as you, as Hannah hurriedly leads you out of the morgue. Alright. Okay, I'm going... Well, Hannah's driving, her drive is very good, so... Her drive, is, uh, <laughs> her drive is uh, 70, so, and that's fine. So you, yeah, she manages to drive you out of town, gets onto the highway, merges with the traffic, and soon you find yourself, you find yourselves crossing the bridge over the Hudson River into Manhattan proper, just shy of 11 a.m. She navigates the crowded streets of New York City like a native. And soon, before you know it, you are parked in the parking lot of the Museum of Natural History and walking through the marbled columns into the entrance. You were great. Yep. Before we head in, I just tell her to basically keep your eyes peeled for anyone acting suspiciously. Or like they're trying to uh, keep their eye on us. She nods. And as you enter the museum, I'd like you to make a luck check, please. Uh... Oh, that's a 35 and that's a pass. (laughs) So, (laughs) you make your way into the museum. It's free entry today, so you blend in with the blend in with the crowds of tourists, make your way through several exhibits, walk past the towering dinosaur skeletons, through the exhibit on ancient China, through a mock-up of a, pyra- of a pyramid of Egypt, and 
all the while looking around, looking over your shoulder, keeping an eye out for anyone who seems suspicious. But it seems you are alone here today. And as you pass through the exhibits and see the helpful sign pointing you to the materials library, you breathe a sigh of relief. Would like you to please make a hard library use check. Okay. Uh, that is a fail. <laughs> Would you like to push that? Yeah. Oh God, that's pretty much the same thing. So no, that's that's, that's a fail. Look around and. You browse all of the academic materials. You can't quite make sense of... Uh, they're just... The way they're catalogued, it's completely foreign to you. The museum has a completely different cataloging system than the academic standard. And it takes you the next two hours oh. to find the materials you are looking for. Finally manage to find the books on ancient Aztec and Peruvian civilizations. You gather a whole stack of them, and then Hannah helps you carry them over to a reading table, and you begin to flick through them. Make an anthropology check, please. That is a nine, so that is a, an extreme. Fine, you flip through the books, reading them as fast as you can, trying your best to glean any helpful information. And you learn the following. The Chavan, the Chavan peoples first became evident in large numbers about 1200 BC in the central Andes. The name Chavan is from the archaeological site Chavan de Huanta, which was discovered in the late 1970s and which first gave archaeologists clues to Peru's first known native peoples. The Chavan are known for their large standing stone structures and sculptures, as well as their huge temples with U-shaped plans and sunken courts. They flourished until about 200 BC when they faded into the Paracas culture. The Chavan spread throughout ancient Peru without violence, instead seemingly absorbing large populations through a religious cult, which apparently worshipped an odd assortment of animals, caimans, jaguars, snakes, eagles, and other stranger creatures, the oddest of which being the star people, god-like beings from the heavens. These beings would provide the Chavan priests with sacred keys that would allow them to manipulate the Eye Upper. Once again, Spectral Dream Serpents. Most of this information is a retread of what you read before, but then you read a passage in one of the books that makes you, that unsettles you to the core. It describes that those who hold the sacred keys, usually the Chavan High Priests, link their minds to the Eye Upper, and that the Eye Upper reading the holder of the key's mind will act upon its desires, either expressly stated or subconscious. Furthermore, the mythology states that each time the Eye Upper perform a task for the sacred key holder, 
They demand a sacrifice. If they do not, if they are not granted a sacrifice, eventually they will turn upon the holder. I'd like you to make a sand check, please. Okay. Yeah, that's a fail. That will be a loss of 1d4 sand, please. 1d4 is... That's a three. The materials do not describe how to dismiss the IARPA and unlink the key holder's mind from them. But perhaps one of these materials might. Would you like to attempt a Cthulhu Mythos check, please? Yeah, nope. <laughs> Would you like to push that? Oh, uh, yeah. It's very unlikely, but... Yeah, nope. Yeah, unfortunately, you're unable to find any more information about the eye up, but you think you've learned enough for now. That the mine that... The holder of the key is linked with the IAPA. First, it was Thomas Dengler, and the IAPA were merely acting upon his subconscious desires, his hatred of the three people who died. Now, you, Smolder, and Stanley are the ones linked. And, as no sacrifice has been provided, it's only a matter of time before the IAPA turn against their holder. As such, oh, if you wish to get rid of them, you're probably going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. Oh, joy. I don't know. We got a couple of military people bearing down on us. Be sure, shame if they disappeared off the face of the earth. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> think fast. You found the you found the information that will help you, but it took far too long to do so. And even with Hannah driving back as fast as she can, you will not make. The two o'clock deadline. However, <sighs> you can uh, use Hannah's cell phone to call Stanley and Knox and inform them of what you've learned. <laughs> so as Hannah speeds once again through the streets of New York, she hands you her cell phone. You quickly dial Stanley's number, hoping he will answer. Stanley, Knox is driving his car, tearing down the highway, leading out of town towards the truck stop. Actually, no, this would be after that. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be way yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you... Uh, Stan... Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, so Stanley and Knox, you guys are heading to the... Uh, you guys are heading to the truck stop. You have a map of the state in the glove compartment of your rental car bring that up in the chat so that uh, everyone can see it and so uh let's go move it down so that people in the stream can see it okay so you have a map of long island you are in glenridge and the truck stop is just outside of oyster bay a drive of about two hours would you it's both... an hour and a half. Oh yeah, hour and a half, yeah. Sorry, hour and a half. Would you both like to make navigate checks to try to plot the most direct route? 
Oh, I can try oh, to. Oh, this is how this is where everything falls to pieces. What's the Oh, list? shit. Ten. Ten. Oh, shit. I'm not spending that much luck. Oh, oh, can I spend three points of luck? Yes, you can. Okay. Stanley hunches over the map, tracing the road with his index finger, plotting out a route calling out the directions to Nox as he drives. Nox, make a drive check with advantage, please. Go, 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 go. What? You can push it if you like. Oh, no. That was 57 and 1. Oh, you got it. Fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. Good job. Okay. Um, now let me turn to the page for you arriving on time. Well done. Okay. The drive is uneventful. You barely pass any traffic on the highway. And thanks to Knox's smart driving and Stanley's carefully plotted route, you arrive with time to spare. The drive taking just over one hour. You managed to shave off about 30 minutes. You see the small, the small silver curved roof of the four-star truck stop with the sign slowly revolving on top of a big pole facing the road. It's your typical, it's your typical roadside diner, barely bigger than a single wide trailer. The walls painted yellow and red, decked out in the greatest 1950s decor. You park in the parking lot, climb out, lock your car, and then as you walk towards the door of the diner, look over your shoulder at the empty highway behind you. I'd like you both to make spot hidden checks, please. Certainly! Uh, again? push that. Uh, I got a pass. Yep, you got a pass, so yep, we'll just wait to see how... Uh... That's a pass for me as well. As you look over your shoulders, past the car park and down the highway, you see something in... you see something in the thick tree line a couple of metres off the side of the road. A large, dark shape. A large, dark shape parked just behind the massive tree trunks. A black van. Shit. What make do you no do? Sign. I was going to say, obviously, make no sign that we know they're there, because otherwise they might be called into action sooner. Just pretend they're not there and quickly head inside. Sure. Push open the door of the diner, a bell rings, and your ears are immediately filled with 1950s rock music. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock, five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. You look around, taking in the plush red leather booths, the black and white checkered floor. The photos of Elvis Presley and other rocks the photos of Elvis Presley and other rock stars emblazoned across the walls. And there you see, past the booths filled with truckers and 
busy families on their way to or from vacation. The booth at the very back, Special Agent Clark, is sitting on his own. He's sitting on his own, fiddling with a very greasy looking cheeseburger. Special, uh, do we, do we want to sit in the same booth with him, or do we want to stay sit in the booth like behind him so we can still talk but without making it look like we're together? Do you think that's a good idea, Nox? Yeah, I think so. The, I'd like you to make a luck check, please, Stan. Oh. See if that booth is free. Is free. Considering the amount of freaking luck I've spent today, you bastard. Uh, that's okay, that's a 19, so it's a pass. Lovely. Luckily, the booth directly in front of Clark is free. And so, you slide into it, your, the back of your chair facing the back of his. You hear him clear his throat. He simply asks, were you followed? If a uh, black van outside, I don't know how many people are in it, but uh, definitely think it's our friends in black, if you know what I mean. He makes the briefest head motion, glancing in the glancing out the window at the tree line. He grunts. Hmm, yeah, majestic for sure. He says, okay, so here's what's going on. We don't know what's, we don't know if we have a mole in the agency or if someone else has informed majestic of what's going on. Either way, <coughs> they've caught wind of the fact there might be an extraterrestrial creature in rural Long Island, and a piece of technology that is able to control it. They're on the scene. Um, I'd like to add him that, uh, um, uh, add, add to him that um, a mole in the agency is quite possible because um, uh, the news, uh, the report. Yeah, the news guys, yeah, saying. Yeah, they yeah. said they had a source in the agency. Totally mm, possible, whoever this. It might be playing both sides of the field for as much for whatever they can get their hands on. He nods. I'd heard about that from Miss Green. I saw that broadcast. Somebody has been feeding information to the press. Seems we have a leak. So, that's why I called you here in person rather than talking over the phone. Do you have any of the... Do you have any of the evidence of the unnatural with you? Uh, I was going to say... Can, can, can we really hand over the notes if we haven't, um, used it? You kind of broke up. Well, you can't hand over the amulet because you need to neutralize that first, but, like, you do... Yeah. yeah, like, he's referring to other evidence, so, like, the grey goo and stuff, which you don't have. He says, hmm, that's a shame. Any leads about this quote-unquote technology that could control the creatures? I was gonna say, I have the I have the uh, control device of sorts in question on me, but uh, due to extenuating circumstances, it can't leave my person until it's been neutralized. He says, "Yeah." Unless we put more people at risk. He says, "Acel would have our throats if we uh, passed on passed on something that's still volatile back to the agency. You've got to neutralize that first. He says, "Okay." So, Majestic has taken over the investigation under the guise 
of Army Criminal Investigation Command. Their cover story is that they're looking for a rogue special forces agent who is responsible for uh, slicing and dicing the victims. He says, he says that, speaking of cover stories, he says, they've already provided one if you want to use it, but if you've concocted anything of your own, this might be the time to start getting, uh, start putting in preparations to enact it. He says, either way, once you gather all remaining evidence, after you've neutralized that amulet, after you've neutralized that piece of technology, gathered all remaining evidence, reports, any physical, any physical evidence, I want you to pass them along to me. I will send you the coordinates to a secure drop-off location. It's known as a green box. You will leave it there for me, and I will collect it. I will make sure that the evidence gets back to Miss Green and Agent Harkin. He says, do you understand? Yes. I'd like you both to make psychology checks, please. Oh, shit. Damn, I'm... Oh, hell yeah. Uh, that's a four. I'm glad you passed. <laughs> This is odd, as you hear him say this, because he seems oddly straight to the point. Uh, and you notice, you, it occurs to you, first of all, two things. One, if time is of the essence, and these materials absolutely must not fall into Majestic's hand, then wouldn't the easiest solution be to simply destroy them? Second of all, he stated that he didn't want to talk to you over the phone, yet is willing to send you coordinates to, quote, a secure drop-off location. Mm. Mm. <sighs> <sighs> oh, shit. Yeah, kind of reeks to high heavens. What would you like to say to him? Do we just want to tell him we understand and then maybe inform Miss Green herself about what's going on? You could try I know that. She said we can't, I know she said not, yeah, to... not to. You'd have to drive even further to the FBI headquarters. So it looks like for the moment, this is entirely in your hands. Guess play along. Yep. For now. So, so you just tell him you understand. He says, he says, and so who's got the evidence currently? Agent King? Um, the evidence being the amulet? Being the, being the goo and the reports. Oh, the goo. Uh, yeah, I believe he, does yeah. he currently have them? He does. Yes. You know he went off yes, to collect does. them. Yeah, he says, and he's collecting as we speak. He says, excellent. Inform him that you're to drop them off at the green box. I'll stay in touch. Be careful. You get up from your booth and begin to make your way out of the diner. As you do so, I would like you both please to make hard spot hidden checks. Actually, sorry, I'd like you to make lizard checks, not spot hidden. Aww. Wait, so hard spot hidden or regular no, spot hidden? Uh, regular listen, please. I'll listen. Yeah. I need to spend one more point to make that pass. Yep. And I passed mine. I got an eight. 
as you push open the diner door and step out into the sunlight, you see him out of the corner of his eye, raising a cell phone to his ear, and then you hear him. King has the evidence. They have the package. Intercept, eliminate. Oh, shit. Okay, um, there's either him or, oh god, I don't think either of them had uh, any cell phones on, did they? They have, um, they do have, uh, um, Hannah's, so. Okay, good, good, good. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to start heading back except, to town. All the yeah, except, except they can't answer you currently because Smithy failed his library use check and they are currently still pouring oh, through oh, the library. That's yeah. right. Oh, shit. You climb into your car. You start the ex You start the engine. And pull out onto the road. Yeah, so at least I'll still be trying to call them anyway because yeah, obviously to, I don't know what they're You're just doing. dialing the number and you keep it keeps going through to the dial tone, which rings for a few moments and is replaced by that omni, that omnipresent boop, 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 boop. Begin making yeah, I know what the hell they're, I know, I yep, know what the hell they're doing, but we're in a world of shit right now. <laughs> Make your way onto the highway. As you pass the black van in the tree line, you see its brake lights turn you see its front indicator lights turn on and it slowly begins to slowly begins to wend its way out of the tree line what do you do <sighs> it lo it looks as if they're following you indeed as you turn onto as you keep driving you see in the rearview mirror as they, you watch as they turn onto the highway and just drive behind you, following the same trajectory that you are. Alright, so they don't know where, um, King is? They don't know exactly where King is, no. Alright, uh, let's just drive around. You're gonna try to lose them? Just gonna try to lose them? I said again, I have to ask, do we want to try and contact Miss Green about this? Yeah, if it's an uh, emergency. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we have to, uh, you contact Miss Green, I'm just going to drive around taking every which way corner. Yep. Okay, first of all, I would like Nox Mulder to please do a drive check. Uh, that is... Can I push that? Yes, you can. Uh, that... Fuck, I'm going to re-roll that, um, uh, my, um, D10 fell in between, um, another yeah, D10. Yeah, go ahead, so re-roll it. I couldn't tell if it was a 3 or a 33. Okay, that's a 26. Uh, which... If you spend 6 luck points, you'll pass. Oh, goddammit, I'm going to have to. You drive onto the highway, and as soon as you see a turn off to the left, you turn onto it and you follow the route into a smallish suburb full of winding residential streets. You slow down and you begin to take the streets at random. First a right, then a left, then another right. Until finally, you turn back out onto a, onto a small side street leading back onto the highway. 
look in the rearview mirror, and you breathe a sigh of relief as you cannot catch sight of the majestic van. Meanwhile, Stanley is tapping away on his phone. He blasts in Miss Green's number and holds it up to yeah, his ear. Yeah, catch hell for this, but... Make a luck check, please, Stanley. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Come on. Well, I like to push luck checks. Oh, wait. You can push luck checks as long as they're just not combat I... luck checks. Okay, you're not going to believe this. I have 37 luck. I rolled a 38. Oh. Can I spend a single luck point? Can I spend a luck? Actually, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. Fuck. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Oh, actually, okay. you Try can. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll talk it up as it does not, that, that physically doesn't. Well, really? I will call that failing. I will call that passing with a cost. If it makes you feel any better, the next roll I did was a 36. Oh, I literally went 38, fine. 30. Yep, that's fine. So you're fine. <laughs> the phone rings for a ring. Usually Miss Green doesn't take this long to answer. You're beginning to wonder if something happens. Then you hear a click. The phone is answered. You expect to hear the familiar voice of Miss Green. Instead, you hear on the other end, Speak. Harkin. This is Agent Bard reporting. I know we were told not to uh, contact this number unless, uh, or during this case, but uh, certain matters have come up and we, uh, we didn't have a choice. Uh, what's the name of the asked wife that basically turncoded um, on? Um, Special Agent Clark. Yeah, Special Agent Clark has been compromised. I repeat, Special Agent Clark is compromised. Uh, possible majestic <clears throat> um, involvement and anything says, else. I was going to say, is there anything you want to add, Liam, or...? Yeah, well, you've got uh, Harkin on the phone. Currently being trailed by yeah. Majestic. Yeah. Currently being trailed by Majestic, other uh, member of Gruhel King is, well, the King is possibly uh, in position to be usurped. Mm -hmm. He breathes. He says, very well. He says, have you identified the creature responsible for the killings? Uh. You do have the name I Upper that you can tell me. Uh, I said yes. Creature currently known as an I Upper. King was sent to her, exchange more information, but uh, obviously separated at the moment and can't get in contact with him. He says I Upper. Yes, a flock of night night gaunts. Oh no! He says. Fuck. He says very well. Your orders are as follows. Proceed to the coordinates you are about to receive. Allow Majestic to trail you there. Take the amulet there. Majestic will serve as the sacrifice. Dismiss the Night Gaunts any way you can. Best of luck. Okay. With that, there's a click, and he hangs up. Immediately, your oh. phone's message tone rings out. <laughs> And it's a list of coordinates. 
would like you to make a computer use check to look up these coordinates on your laptop. And um, so you can put a picture of this in the stream. Oh, I was gonna put. I was gonna. I have a picture of a knife. Don't worry. It's twenty-four. So that's a hard pass. Yep. Don't worry. I've got a picture of one. Oh yeah, there's that one. But I've got an even. I've got an even more frightening one that I'll show. Oh, please do. Just yeah. When you encounter them. Um. Okay. Just as soon as you finish looking up the coordinates and determine them to be an abandoned farmhouse with. Abandoned farmhouse and field about three to four miles outside of the town of Glenridge on the edge of a vast pine forest. Your phone begins to ring. Want me to answer this? You look at the number. It appears to be Detective Gregson. Oh shit. Okay, yeah, I'm answering going. Uh, you got Agent, Special Agent Bard, what's up? Mm-hmm. What do you say, what do you say, uh. King? Are you secure? Thank God it's actually... Yeah, thank God we got through to you. You need to... Uh, go into hiding, I don't know, we'll look, but long story short, everything's gone to shit, Clark is compromised, those men in black bastards are on to her, following us at the moment we're trying to lead them to a destination you guys need to get out of here or get out of well, wherever you are hide the evidence as best you can but uh where yeah they they know you've got the uh the evidence in question they are looking for you right i would like king to please do an intelligence check an idea check um that is just a pass. Oh, as, as Stanley describes his plan of action, you realise that you are the one who has the information required to dispatch the IARPA. And furthermore, if you are disposing of all the evidence that doesn't get into Majestic's hands, then would, this, would not this abandoned farmhouse be the perfect place to just burn it all? Hmm. So, so would you like to follow uh, Stanley's orders and get away, go somewhere safe and hide, or would you like to propose meeting up with him at the location? Well, I let him know the information about the uh, the Ayapa needing the sacrifices, or that would turn on us. Um, and these, like, so I know how to, um, how to get them off us. Is that ha- what it- Yes. And as soon as oh, you cool. say the word sacrifice to Stanley, Stanley understands. Majestic are the sacrifice. Ah, uh, looks like old, uh, Vader's trying to, uh, throw those guys off our trail in one fell swoop. Okay, okay. So you wish we could, to, uh, we could hide this. We could hide all this info and risk them somehow knowing where to get it, or we can use what we've gotten, use this information to get rid of Majestic, save ourselves, 
and solve the solve the all the issues in, in one go. Yeah, so basically, you could travel to this lo- if you meet up at this abandoned farmhouse. You could basically solve all your problems in one fell swoop. However, you have a bad feeling. Harkin seems like the type who wouldn't think twice about throwing away your lives if it suited him. And it is very likely that it won't be as neat and easy as it seems. Of course not. Look, I, we don't next to nothing this Harkin dude's a ghost, but at the moment we're kind of short on options. Agent Smolder, what do you think? Uh, that we're fucked either way. <laughs> True. In for uh, a penny, in for a pound? <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Look, if you think you can get here with that, without being captured, then by all means, but... That said, you have gathered a lot of information about the IAPA. Enough that you have some idea of what you're dealing with. For one, they fly. They like to lift people up in the air and then drop them at a great height. They also like to tear limbs off, so they, which it suggests to you some sort of pack tactics that they all gang up in a pack and tear people to shreds. Furthermore, from HG King's analysis of the Grey Goo, uh, their bodies are highly acidic, or at least their blood is acid. Hmm. I only have that much at least, but... Uh... <sighs> Very well. Are you ready to enter the climax? You keep asking that, but we're never ready. <laughs> you keep asking me and I keep telling you no. No! <laughs> Very well. Separately. Knox uh, uh, and Smol- Nox Smolder and Stanley in their car. H.G. King in Hannah Gregson's SUV with her in tow. Slowly converge upon the location indicated by Harkin. The abandoned farmhouse in the wilderness. A couple of times along the way, both of you see in your rearview mirrors black vans, black cars with tinted windows. You don't know if they're majestic or if it's just a coincidence, but each time you see one popping out from behind a building or turning away onto a road in front of you, or popping out of a driveway and trailing you for a little bit, you can't help but feel paranoid. Eventually, you make your eventually you all arrive at the abandoned farmhouse. It's 3:30 in the afternoon. The sun is already starting to go down. It's, a, it's an early sunset tonight. You step out of your vehicles briefly exchange looks of relief as you see each other see that you're all alive and in this together then as you take stock of the of you t- as you take stock of the environment the run down dilapidated farmstead windows boarded up doors swinging idly in the wind 
roof patched over and half collapsed. The field overrun with waist-high, out-of-control grass and twisted broken fencing and the thick, gnarled tree line at the edge of the property. Detective Gregson looks over at you with a frown on her face. She places a hand on her hip and she says, Okay, does anyone want to explain what the fuck is going on? Okay, who the fuck wants to try and explain this shit to her? Uh, One, two, three, not it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the uh, one who know that uh, he's what? compromised. <laughs> well, um, Clark is compromised, and look, if, if oh, I... Well, I don't know who, she's not going to know who the fuck Clark is. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. It's just going to say, um, complications have arise, we need to disposed of what evidence we have to keep out of uh, other uh, what's the word um, blanking here less than friendly parties basically I would like all three of you to please make persuade checks yeah we're basically just trying to give a very yeah. abridged version of what the fuck we're doing that's an eleven. Uh, you need a 10 for Persuade on the way. Do you have Persuade? I do not. Then no. you would need to spend a luck point, sir. Then I will spend that luck point. Stan- Stanley's kind of freaking out right now, so naturally I failed mine. Yep, how yeah, did I failed mine. <laughs> you do your best to explain to her the current situation, that you're not in fact members of the FBI, that you're part of a different organisation, that you deal with things that people don't want to think about and that you're compromised right now and you're possibly going to have to fight off rival agents and something from her worst nightmare all in one go. I will roll a dice now and save the result for later. Uh, You could probably guess what I'm rolling. Mm. Here we go. So that was a five and a fifty-one. What oh dear. Do? <laughs> um, she listens to your explanation, which takes the better part of an hour. When you're done, she opens her mouth. She makes a series of stuttering noises, half-formed words. And then she just shuts her mouth and she says, Huh. What do you know? I get to be in the fucking X-Files. Uh, yeah, we'll just save that sort of stuff for now, but uh, right now we have a whole pile of fun stuff that we need to get rid of before we uh, get in massive trouble. So, we have the stuff, let's get to it already, because this is going to go to shit otherwise. You make your way into the indicated field, the waist-high grass rubbing and chafing against you as you walk through. The point indicated by the coordinates is just beyond the tree line. Hidden behind some tree trunk hidden behind some tree trunks in a patch of in a patch of forest where there's not a lot of ground cover. The ground is for the most part dirt and rock. You'll be able to dig a pit here and light a fire. 
without it catching without it catching on the grass and spreading further. And so, HG King, do you have the evidence? Yes. Do you... Uh, first of all, do would you guys like to dig a hole? Who would like to do it? It'll be a strength check to dig to dig a pit <laughs> in, in the forest. Just kind of pats the boulder on the back and go, I think I know. <laughs> diggy, diggy hole, buddy. <laughs> Alright, Smolder, strength yeah, check, yeah, please. 31 and my strength is 40. Okay. Really? Yes. Wow, you've got a lot less strength than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I... Wow, that's... I, I have a 50 Underwhelming... Strength. That's underwhelming, and yeah. how the fuck has the coroner got the most strength? That's yeah. underwhelming and disappointing. <laughs> you you dead bodies. You I grab to... a shovel from the back of uh, Hannah's SUV, head just beyond the tree line, and begin to dig a shallow pit in the earth. Nolder digs, Nox Smolder digs slowly, carefully, the hole getting deeper and deeper. Until he is standing in it, first up to his ankles, then his knees, then up to his waist. The rest of you look on. Hannah Gregson simply waits, leaning against a tree trunk, her arms folded, watching what's happening. Her hand, her fingers nervously fidgeting the hilt of her handgun. As you dig, the sun rises higher. Then lower, the sky begins to turn slowly pink, then red, then crimson, then purple, and finally blue. A three-quarter moon glows in the night sky. The stars twinkle down at you. The hole is dug. As deep as Nox Mulder is tall, he climbs out of it, Stands beside you and takes a breath. <sighs> HG King, do you throw the evidence in? Yes. You grab the evidence, the vials of grey goo, the coroner's report, the severed finger. Toss them into the deep pit. Then, you light a match and throw it in. Fire starts small, scattered embers on the piles of evidence. Then it spreads, and within ten minutes, there is a small bonfire burning at the bottom of the pit, a plume of black smoke snaking out into the night sky. Raise your hands in the air, says a voice from behind you. Okay. What do you do? Uh, Just look over the shoulder, start putting my hands up. You look yeah. over your shoulder, and there, standing in the tree line, you see four men, each of them wearing figure-hugging black suits, sunglasses at night. All four of them leveling shotguns in your direction. It's majestic. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, what? So, how how far away are they? About about 
20 feet or so, just in the tree yep. line. So just far enough that they all fired at once, we'd probably be pancaked against a wall and a hail of buckshot. Yep. And there's no cover. There's cover, there's trees and rocks, but you would have to run faster than they could shoot. Or you'd have yeah. to, or hope they're very inaccurate. Yep. Uh, what would you like to do? Uh, what? Um, uh... Don't know what you're getting at here, but this shit needs to be destroyed for the good of the world. The majestic agents step forward in unison. What do the rest of you do? You raise your hands? Um, like, are we trying to fight these guys? Or it's up to I was you. Gonna say, I, I was going to say, I... You remember that they are intended to be the sacrifice. Yeah, I do have, uh, I'm guessing I still have the amulet on my person. Yes. Yeah, you I just, just don't. So I will, I'm just going to say, my hand is going up, and I do have the amulet around one of my hands. I'm just thinking very quickly, you know, here are your sacrifices, take them. You, the, don't uh, know, you don't know when the night gorts will activate, but you know that all yeah. of the murders took place at night, and so you have a feeling you just have to stall for time. Yeah. Who wants to stall? You will raise your hands, just kneel down and follow along. Yeah. No, they didn't say anything about kneeling. Just you just said raise hands. your hands. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, really, yeah, yeah. You raise yeah. your hands and turn to them. One of the majestic yeah. agents nods and says, Good, smart. We don't care about the things burning in that hole, but one of you has the amulet, correct? We put the amulet in a safe place. The majestic agent frowns. He says, it belongs to our partners. We need to take it back. It belongs yeah, to the I was going to say, which, which partners are we talking about here? He I smiles. Gunpoint. I figure you guys are gunpoint. We at least deserve some answers. He smiles. He says, he shrugs. He says, ah, no harm in telling you. Not like you'll live long enough to act on it. This is the greys, the reticulans, little green men, whatever you'd like to call them. The fungi. Fucking knew it. Goddamn aliens exist. Mm -hmm. The truth is somewhere. <laughs> and the truth's about to freaking pancake us with a shotgun, so. They take. I, just, yep, I, try, to I try to fast talk, um. By kill, uh, killing us, she won't find out where the amulet is. Make a hard fast talk check. Oh, and that is a well. nine. That is a nine. Damn. So that's an extreme. The majestic agent looks confused. He looks at the other three. They look back at him. He raises his shotgun. He says, Let's say I'm willing to take you at face value. Our mole said you had the package, and we've had essentially constant surveillance on you since then. You haven't had any time to dispose of the amulet, and if you have, it can't be too far away from here. And either way, you kill us, you won't know where it is. He nods. The only package we collected was the evidence we're currently burning, man. I would like... Uh, 
I would like uh, Stanley to do a fast talk check with advantage, please. Uh, I shouldn't have said anything, but holy shit. That's a nine. I will spend four luck points to make this work. All right. They look confused. One of the other agents raises his hand and says, maybe they stash the package away. No, Delta Green, they have the, these green boxes, they call them. The agent who's been doing all the talking looks at him and says, hmm, we'll have to, we'll have to take that risk. I would like Stanley to make a power check, please. It's okay. That's a 23, which is a hard pass. You feel in your pocket the amulet starting to subtly vibrate. It's not long now. Alright. Who wants uh, Mr. Small to start making a very, very big, big destruction? <laughs> uh, depends. Is this like, like a stall for time destruction or a could potentially get us all killed if it goes to shit destruction? It's both. I'm getting the feeling. <laughs> yeah, Probably I was going to say, I'm guessing it's going to be a stand of both. Uh, the only distractions I can do is numbers. <laughs> also, um, what are the size of the agents? They're normal-sized people. They're some of them. The guy who's been doing the talking is quite well built. The others are just like average weight and height. Well, well with this, it's uh, does damage per fifteen size. Ah, so they would be fifty. One, the bigger one would be seventy size. The others would be fifty size. Alright, I look to the big one dead in the face. Uh, just, um. <coughs> in Azathoth's name, I curse you, your flesh will drip. As soon um, as you invoke uh, the name Azathoth, uh, one of yeah, them but... shouts. One of them shouts. One of them. Sh uh, sorry. One mm. of them shouts, Engage! He's activating hypergeometry! They begin to scatter for the tree line, and one of them fires his shotgun. Boom! I would like Smolder to make a dodge check as you continue reciting the uh, spell. Hindsight probably could have muttered that one. Oh no, I have to um, say, uh, say, yeah, it out loud. say it out loud. Oh, fine. Fair deal. Do you guys want to know what the spell is? Uh, maybe once you actually cast it? Mm hmm. Oh, well, it's already ca casted. Oh, fun. Uh, and do dodge, do was, yep. it was dodge, wasn't it? Uh, yep. Where's my thingy? You can dodge, because they've first thing they've done is scattered for the trees for cover, and then they're fired, so you get a dodge uh, check. Uh, my dex is 42, so come on! And um, I can't push that, can I? No, you can't. I will now right, roll for the lead majestic agent. Sorry. Oh, I should actually... And he hits. Oh, that's uh, that's by one. <laughs> yep. God damn it. <laughs> Boom! You All take right, so seven that... points of damage. Nick, you take seven oh. points of damage through your armor as you're hit by a shotgun blast. The Kevlar vest takes most of it, and this saves your life. I would like you to make a con check, please. Alright, hold on. Right about that. Ah, uh, that's a 12. That's a 12. You managed to stay conscious, but the blow knocks you off your feet. Make a luck check, please, to avoid falling into the fire pit. 
and that is a 30 exactly so Scroll onto the ground, and as soon as you recover your movement and senses, you quickly crawl for a nearby tree stump. Okay. Oh, uh, and also, um, yep, I, I forgot... I forgot what is the um, spell? I, I, but first, I forgot to actually um, use, use my um, MP. <laughs> ah, yes, we're going to get to that. What spell is it? Okay. Are you ready, guys? Yep. Melt Flesh. Ah, Melt Flesh. Oh, I had a feeling it was that. Okay. <laughs> and also, because I was looking directly at him, Yep. in certain cases, such as where the face is targeted, the victim may become blind or lose the ability to hear and possibly suffocate unless air vents are quickly created in the face. Yes. So, uh, he is size 70, so that will cost... Uh, 30, 40, 5. From living flesh, 5 yep. points, 5 magic points per, per 15, 15 size. size. So that will cost uh, all of your magic points to set him on fire, plus 1d6 sand. Yeah, one decent sand, yeah. And that is a one. And, okay. You lost one sanity, and as you perch behind the tree stump, you place your back to it, and you continue reciting the spell's incantation, calling upon Azathoth for four more rounds until the spell goes off. One D4 damage per 15 size. And he does. So he will take one D4 right now for the first round. A flame surges through his body. You see the skin on his arms begin to bubble. He shrieks in pain. And oh no, as... that was, it was targeted at his face. Ah, yeah, he, okay. His cheeks begin to bubble and twist. He shrieks in pain. He's still alive, firing his shotgun wildly. And as the other three majestic agents see it, they too open their mouths in panic. Each of them loses 1d6 San. None of them are driven temporarily insane. Stanley, what would you like to do? Um, I think there's not much else to do. Well, take cover would be a good idea first. Yep. So I'm not that uh, not that great in a fight, but uh, we'll uh, take out my nine millimeter and go. Ah, stupid thing should already be here by now. Come on, where the hell are you? All right. And, uh, Throw yourself behind cover. Make a dodge check, please. Oh, good. And yeah, because the combat roll, and I no, can't push it, so nope. My right. flat-ass ain't dodging that quick. <clears throat> One of the other Majestic Agents, who is a bit further away, fires his gun in your direction. Unfortunately for you, he rolls 94 and BOOM! Whoa. Misses you! You feel... Jeez. You could feel the shotgun uh, buckshot pelting the back of the boulder that you throw yourself behind. You poke oh. out your gun... And fire! Make a firearms check. Just barely failed, so my aim is just as good as his. Yep. Mm-hmm. Boom! He ducks behind a tree trunk at the last minute. Just say, just have like Stanley just sit there, just go, for crying out loud, can we just have one stupid job that doesn't end in a fucking gunfight? HG <laughs> King, what would you like to do? Um. Yeah, same thing. Try and get behind some cover. Get and... cover. Very well. Make a dodge check, please. Uh, that's a nope. That's a nope. What, what did you roll exactly? 
90. 90. Oh. Okay, another majestic agent fires at you. He hits 23, and this oh, is far oh, enough no. away that... Boom! He hits you for oh. 12 points of damage. Oh, no! Holy fuck. How much health do you have? 11. He's okay. dead. No, no, he hasn't. He he's hasn't, dead. He hasn't taken a major wound. He's dying. He's I feel like odd. taking 12 HP is enough for that. I actually clarified. Oh, I actually clarified in the rules because I was. I wanted to see yep, how exactly okay. how it works, and apparently the damage that quote unquote kills you cannot also give you a um, major wound. So you have to take a major wound, then um, fall low on HP. So God, oh, so. Oh. HG King falls to the ground, clasps his hand to his chest, and begins gasping for breath as he bleeds out. Detective Gregson raises her desert eagle. She stands where oh. she is and she fires at the majestic agent who just shot King. Let's see, damn, that's a fancy gun for someone who lives out the pit. Boom! She hits him. For seven points of damage, hitting him in the torso, and he passes out from the pain, his heavy body hitting the ground with a thud. The last oh remaining majestic agent turns his attention to her and starts blasting with his shotgun. She tries oh her no. best to duck to cover. She fails. Oh no. He oh, shoots, word. bang, 22, and eight points of damage. Her Kevlar vest manages to take away two. She takes six point of points of damage, <coughs> and she falls unconscious, out like a light as she hits the ground. Desert Eagle and a Kevlar vest? Okay, are we sure she's just a run-of-the-mill cop? Because she is well and truly yeah, stopped Yeah, she takes this. her shit yeah. seriously. Okay, Damn. Stanley, make another power check, please. Come on, you fucking majestic old bastards, where are you? It's 51, so it's a pass. Okay, the amulet is vibrating more. In fact, you can hear it in your pocket, making a low hum. Okay. Knock Smolder, you continue reciting the spell. One of the the lead majestic agent fires at you again. Make another dodge check. Certainly can. Because you were behind. Dodge. Be <laughs> back in just half a second. Uh, that is a fifteen. It is a fifteen. You successfully dodge, and he misses. Boom. His shotgun shells shredding the wood on the tree stump. You continue reciting your spell. He takes another one oh. point of damage, his face continuing to burn, and the other majestic agents look on, each of them losing another three points of sand, but none of them going temporarily insane. Okay. Stanley, it's your turn. What would you like to do? M2's. Hey, so he'll be back in a second. Oh, yeah, he'll be back. Okay, so, uh, HG King, you are bleeding out and dying. I would like you to make a constitution check, please. 
That is a 45 and that is a pass. That is a pass. You do not bleed out this turn. You manage to cling to life desperately. We have to wait for Stanley. Stanley, your turn. Yep. What do you do? Alright, what's HD the situation? We're managed, still... HD King has managed to cling to not life for another round. Does not bleed out this oh, turn. Oh, damn. Well, that's good because he's dealing with mid-kit, so I'm still getting out of Yeah. Shh. Uh, I'm guessing all the agents are still up. Yep, they're all up. Well, one Long of question. them, one of do them's we... unconscious. Oh. Three of them are up. I was gonna say, we do we need them alive to be sacrifices? Um, well, one of them's un alive. He's just unconscious. So the yeah, other. That's what I mean. Game. Like, do we need them to all be alive for the? You have the no idea. You have no idea because HD King was unable to glean that last bit of information. Yeah. Alright, well, I'm gonna take a risk on that one and swap my uh, revolver out for my uh, taser, which I also have on me, Ooh, and try to tase one of the uh, agents. Probably the ones nearest to me, because obviously this thing doesn't have the uh, longest range. Okay, make a firearms check. God damn it, I am stuck. The cord of the taser embeds it to the nearby tree, and you see a bolt of electricity run through it. But, you do not hit the agent. Okay. Uh, whoops. I need you to make a dodge check, please, as the agent returns fire. That makes sense. And, nope, that's another fail. It's 40. Okay. He fires at you with his shotgun. And he one oh. hundreds. He raises oh, his gun. Expires. <laughs> he raises his gun, pokes out from behind the tree, and as he fires, one of the other agents runs in front of him. And Damn. boom! He blasts oh, his head off block. for nine points of damage. I'm just sitting there going, oh yes, if we need Oh god, <laughs> I hope they like their sacrifice that's already pre-killed. Stanley, I need you to make a power check, please. Oh boy. That's a three, that's a crit pass. The vibrating is getting louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop putting me on vibrate to answer the damn phone and get your asses <laughs> down here already. Knock Smolder, you continue reciting the spell. The lead agent takes another one point of oh, damage. This time, however, he's buckled over from the pain, and he cannot fire back at you. The one remaining standing agent loses three points of sand. He doesn't go temporarily insane. Okay. HG King, make a constitution check, please. Oh, come on! Oh, that's a 35, so that's a hard pass. You cling to life for a few seconds more. Suddenly, there's a huge jolt from Stanley's left pocket. Stanley, you reach into your pocket and you pull out the amulet. As soon as it, as soon as it hits the air, it flings out of your hand and begins levitating above you, glowing brightly and humming. <laughs> the humming gets louder and louder and louder. You block your ears. And then suddenly, the humming stops. The amulet falls back down on the ground. 
suddenly inert. But there's no sign of the eye upper. What would you like uh, to do? There's, so there's no sign at all whatsoever? Nothing. It fell to the ground inert in front of you. You are not sure what is happening. Oh, fuck. Um, would I be able to think of a reason why? I got no, I got no idea what the fuck's going on, obviously. A, you can make a Cthulhu Mythos check if you like. Yes, and yeah, give it a go. No, I can't push these, can I? No, you... Oh, actually, you can push this one, because this is... This is not a combat roll, this is just a I'm trying to figure something out roll. Wait, I don't have nearly enough luck to try and cover that, so I'm just sitting there going... Yep, you have uh, no clue what has happened. Yeah, just, uh, just staring over at it going, um... Hello? Okay. Um... Okay. Nox, you continue reciting... The agent takes two points of damage and you watch as the flame surges across his face and his skin melts clean off, revealing the skull underneath as he falls to the ground. Make a sand check, please, Stanley and not. He's just here standing back and going, that's some, like, Mortal Kombat shit, what the hell? And I failed. Shit. Okay, and Nox, how did you go? Pass or fail? Okay, for passing, 1d3. For failing, 1d6, please. Uh, oh, God, no. Well, big surprise. Seeing a guy's face melt clean off that didn't do good for me, that, um, that was a dick. Six, oh, no. very well. Make your intelligence check. Uh, yeah, great, my best stat. How nice of you, thanks. And that's a pass. Let the good times roll. Oh, you managed to remain sane for yes, now, but that I was passed, fucking terrifying. I passed, no, I passed my intelligence. Oh, you he passed. Knows exactly oh. What's going on. I know damn well what the fuck yeah, just happened. Yeah, you know damn no. well what happened. You just saw Nox Smolder use forbidden magic of Azathoth to melt, yeah, melt a guy's skull off. And so, you raise your gun and you run out from your hiding spot towards the last majestic agent left, firing wildly. I had my taser out though. Oh yeah, with your firing wildly insane. with your taser. Make a fire make a firearms check with disadvantage, please. You are just running wild. Because that was such a good shot before I had disadvantage. Well, that's a ninety-eight. So not only do I fail, but my taser actually malfunctions. Yep. Your taser sparks. You'll have to replace the battery later. You continue running towards the majestic agent. He raises his shotgun and his finger tightens around the trigger. Then... Oh, that's, that's gonna hurt. I'd like you both to make spot hidden checks, please. That's a three. Please tell me in my madness I see why my, my savior is coming towards me. That's oh, God. I'm going to say, oh god, if I'm, I'm temporarily insane, what the fuck am I going to see? So, <laughs> Nox Smolder and HG King, who's just barely conscious, you both see 
in the tree line, in the blackness of the descending night, something moving, something that seems like a shadow, but a shadow that, shadow that is solid, something more real. You turn, your gaze transfixed on it, and as the majestic agent's finger tightens on the trigger, these shadows burst from the tree line, one of them scooping him up into the air. And then you see them, the night gaunts, smooth black whale-like skin, long slender humanoid bodies, curving horns, leather bat-like wings, and a blank expanse of flesh where one would expect a face to be. I will put up the picture. That'll be fun. Oh, boy. Lovely. So what the hell does... I was going to say, what the hell does um, Stanley, Stanley see? see? Stanley, <laughs> you mm -hmm. see the majestic agent in front of you being lifted off the ground. And suddenly, music begins to play in your ears. And you look up and you see the majestic agent struggling and screaming as a giant bird of prey lifts him off the ground in its thin talons, turning to heckle him with its thin, sharp beak. However, oh, is this, I was going to say, this motherfucker getting attacked by a Fero. Yep. I would <laughs> like, uh, I would like Nox Smolder to please make a sand check. And, uh, HD King, you are exempt from sand checks at the moment because you're not coherent enough to understand what you're seeing. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, this could be fun. I say, you know. Smolder sent Stanley insane. Stanley can send Smolder insane. Good times. Well, that's a pass for me. That's a fifty-five. Uh oh, that's unless of course you just bring it. That will be one <laughs> D three sun loss from seeing the night court. The majestic <laughs> agent screams, struggling. Ah! Meanwhile, I'm really surprised you didn't go for a gold bat or something. <laughs> mean. Yeah, he's using fly. Meanwhile, the other. Meanwhile. Four more of the creatures burst from the tree line, each of them picking up a majestic agent off the ground, spreading their bat-like wings and lifting them into the night sky. Four of them have found their sacrifice. The fifth one hovers oh. in the air, flapping its wings. It looks oh, around. Yeah. I would like HG King to do a luck check, please. Oh, oh no. How did I know you were gonna say that? I'm surprised you didn't go for the guy ranting and raving. You may do I'm surprised you didn't go for the guy ranting and raving out in the open. Well, they prefer vulnerable targets, is the thing, so. Yeah. Uh, you say luck with advantage? Yes. Because you are linked to. You are technically the master of these night gaunts, so they're going to prefer oh, that, other prey. That is a six. That is a six. Lovely. Remember, the sacred key links your mind to the night courts. You are their master. And so, instead of picking up the raving lunatic or the bleeding out HG King, the final night gaunts, then final night gaunt flaps its wings, reaches out with its gangly limbs, and lifts 
Detective Gregson's unconscious body oh. over its oh. arms. Hey, it's good news that they cleared up that little loophole, huh, guys? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. it spreads its wings and begins to fly into the night sky. What would you like to do? I'm still temporarily You're still insane. insane. So I'm, I'm just watching a shitload of yeah. flying type Pokemon fly up. I'm just sitting there going, Woo! I am never, never saying a bad thing about Golbat ever again. So you Help. see... Yeah, you're fine. You're not doing anything to stop them. But, um, Smolder, would you like to try to stop this one that's carrying Hannah away? Yes. Alright. As it carries her up into the sky... Its spined barbed tail begins to turn around and wrap around her. And as you watch, tiny little black barbs emerge from the skin and begin to pierce her orifices. Make a firearms check to hit the Nightborns. It sounds like she's already dead. She's not dead. She's just... She actually... They actually don't do damage with this attack. It's something that, um... It's something that immobilizes the victim. Yeah. She's not uh, dead. She's just really, really, really hurt. Yeah. Alright, well, I'm going to try go for a cold shot with my Desert Eagle, so I need a 33. Yep. Go so ahead, 33. Uh, what do you fuck? Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to take a picture of what I just rolled. Go ahead. Please do. Please do. This ought to be amazing. Oh, 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 it will be. It will be. Uh, camera. Please hold. Da, 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 da. Meanwhile, Stanley is still just raving in the middle of this fucking farm yard. Yep. Chasing and after the that's pro. what I just rolled. Oh, wow. lovely. Oh, okay. Insane. You may roll your damage and double it. That is uh, definitely so, an impale. So that is a D... Where's my D10? D10 plus D6 plus 3. So that is... A six plus five, that, that's eleven plus thirteen. Thirteen plus thirteen. Thirteen 26. plus thirteen. Twenty-six. Bang! You hit it. It shrieks in pain and falls to the ground, dropping the unconscious detective. She rolls on the dirt, opens her mouth and begins to scream an ear-piercing, blood-curdling scream she passes out once again and goes deathly quiet then you hear something you didn't mean to you did you heard something you hoped you would not have to hear the night gaunts were your servants you've proven oh. you don't want your servants the other oh. four night gaunts drop their quarries they fall more than 30 feet down into the ground and land in front of you with loud thuds turning into exploding balloons of blood and gore as their fragile bodies explode apart from the force. And then, the other four night gorts flap their wings and begin flying in your direction. Stanley, make a, make a power check, please. Oh. Well, an 88, so I'm done for. Stanley, your madness changes to a different form. The Pokemon theme begins to slow, begins to glitch, and suddenly you see 
the chaotic form of missing Gno barreling down from the sky towards you. You have enough wherewithal to either fire or dodge. Which one would you prefer? Right. Um, well, I might as well try and fire. Well, I'm going to have to go with my handgun since my teeth are buggered. So uh, I'm going to have to try and go with my handgun and hope to get a hit because otherwise I'm pretty sure I know what's going to come next. And I'm just expecting a, oh, I'm just expecting a nice blank piece of tech saying, this isn't the time to use that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is... Out of my head. Oh, holy shit, that's actually an 11. Finally, 11. I hit something. That's a hot buzz. Holy roll, shit. Roll your damage and double it. Oh my god, that... And that's a 8. That's going to be 16 points of damage. You fire your gun, you see your bullet slam into the black, oily skin of the creature, and then you hear... And a text box pops up in your vision that says, It was super effective. <laughs> Ooh. The night the night gaunt screams and falls down in front of you motionless, but there's still a second one barreling for you. Fire or dodge, either way you will be rolling at disadvantage for this one. Oh, so I'm gonna try and fire and my foot well, nice only guys, that was a ninety-seven, so oh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's the uh, Yep. You fire and miss, and then the creature before you latches out with its hands. And now, finally, you see the night gaunt for what it is. You open your mouth to scream. It grabs you, pulls you up, and begins to lift you into the air. You take... Wait, wait. <laughs> no, 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 no. Four damage from its claw attack, and then huh. you must make... Night Gaunts aren't particularly strong. You must make an opposed strength attack, please. Oh, and, God. Um, what? Night Gaunt has what, a you say size. Strength check? Yes, yeah, strength check. Because it's going to attempt to seize you with its tail, like it did with uh, Hannah. Its build is zero, so same as yours. It's going to be a straight strength check. No, here. no my build is minus one. Oh, okay, so you're rolling with disadvantage mm. on this. Okay, so what am I rolling exactly? Am I rolling my strength you're rolling stat? Your, or... Yeah, you're rolling your strength stat. Okay, well, who wants to guess what my strength stat actually is? Just out of curiosity. 30. Yep. Okay. So, uh, wish me luck, and that's a 67. Oh. That's a 67. Okay, the night Stanley is gonna... gonna fucking die. He may not. This is... I could actually <laughs> see ways it... Yeah, he passed. You struggle yep. as he... Brings you closer to his oily Wait, black no, face. No, no, no. This and is a cool man. Not cool at all. <laughs> and then it begins to wrap its barbed tail around you. The razor sharp barbs stick out, and although they deal no damage, they begin to snake their way up all your orifices, your nostrils, your ears, up through the top of your eyeballs. Even your unmentionable orifices. You are completely immobilized. You feel Ooh. no pain. But you cannot move. You cannot move, and you are extremely disoriented. The tail barbs sneak through holes and openings, slice through your clothes, oh. and even find oh. the interstitches of even find the interstitches of any armor that you are wearing. 
And then, (laughs) safely immobilized, the creature begins to fly, lifting you up, flying further and further. I would like, now, Smolder to please make either a firearms or dodge check as you see a Nightgore barreling towards you. Uh, I'll go for um, firearms. Alright. That's a nine. That's a nine. Ah. Good hit. Roll and double your damage. <laughs> uh, no, that's... There we go. Uh, five plus three, eight plus another three. That's eleven. Ah, twenty-two. Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Oh, Boom! 22. Sorry, you yeah, fire you your desert eagle. Your bullet piercing its featureless face. Its blood. Its acidic blood spurts in your direction. Make a dodge check, please. You can't dodge these, can you? I you mean, can dodge. You no. can't push I mean, these, not, no. Yeah, you push. Can't. Yeah, that's a foul. That's a 96. You take four points of damage not blocked by your armor as the acidic blood lands on your skin, <laughs> melting into it. You hit the ground, cover your face and cower as the other knight gaunt bears its talons and prepares to lift you up. Meanwhile, Stanley paralyzed, is slowly being lifted into the air. Stanley, HG King, and Smolder, like all of you to make luck checks, please. God, you monster. (laughs) And Uh, failed. Bye. That's a pass. Pass. Bye-bye. I'm done. I failed. How did HG King do? I have luck of 44 and I rolled a 43. Yeah! Okay, that was a group check, so you pass! As you prepare for the worst, suddenly, out of the corner of your eyes, you see something, a bright light emerging through the tips of the pine trees. A bright light unlike any you've seen before, blinking, exuding a yellow glow that fills you with wonder as you see it. You watch, inexplicably drawn to look up into the starry sky, and then you see it. A black triangular craft emerges from behind the trees, silently gliding across the night, (laughs) yes, silently gliding across the night sky when it reaches the middle of the clearing where you are fighting for your lives it stops and it slowly begins to revolve in place slowly spinning the lights on each of its points glow brighter and brighter and an orange circular glow appears in the very center of the craft like you each to roll power checks, please. Uh, 35, which is a... Hard pass. Damn it. Fail. 3 Okay, I need uh, Stanley to please lose 1d3 sand. Yay! The lights 
the lights grow brighter and brighter as the as the craft continues to revolve and then suddenly your ears begin to hear the same humming that emanated from the amulet starting low at first rising in volume as the lights grow brighter and brighter until all you can see is yellow and then you all everything goes black time to get the outro music do we do, do we live? You'll find out I'm getting the I, outro. I, 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 you guys I'm, might be okay, but I don't know where I have last I checked oh. I was immobilized getting dragged away, so um <laughs> what? You feel heat pressing down upon your eyes. Gather your energy and your eyes flicker open. You see first rays of the early morning sun beaming down towards you through the treetops. Look around. Everyone is, is present and accounted for. Nox Smolder, Stanley, H.G. King, and Detective Hannah Gregson. All of you severely wounded. Some of you on death's door, but somehow miraculously alive there is no sign of the night gaunts or the majestic agents or the strange craft in the sky the entire clearing smells like smoke you stand and climb to your feet in front of you the deep fire pit you look inside there is nothing but ashes. Somehow, somehow, you made it. But why? Stanley is kissing the ground. Stanley is freaking the fuck out everything with this shit. Hugging the ground right now. It appears, as you remember, as you begin to puzzle over what happened, you remember that the Iapa. The Iapa were not their own entities, rather, while they served the holders of the key, ultimately, they were bound to greater masters, the Star People. And it seems that last night, the Star People made good on their intention to retrieve their servants and their technology, the strange amulet is nowhere to be seen. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> you hobble out into the early morning light, doing your best to wordlessly reflect on what happened. You recoup from your wounds, spend a few days in a local hospital, and then you are once again called to briefing room two in the Long Island Regional FBI Branch. Agent Clark is not there this time. You are greeted only by Miss Green. Harkin is also not present. Miss Green merely smiles. She looks at all of you, covered in bandages, bruises, 
dried up blood and scrapes. She smiles once again and she says, An operation successful. You neutralized the threat and the story you concocted about the ritualistic serial killer. Well, it was enough for the police to get heat off the uh, heat off the town of Ridgevale from the press. Not least of all, because we have a new friendly working for us. I hear she's a high-up detective in the Ridgeview Police Department. Oh, good. Yeah, great. Woo, hey. <laughs> Before, as she goes through the requisite debriefing, informing you that your operation bonus will soon be visible in your nominated bank account. She smiles once again and says, By the way, Harkin was impressed. He said to say, wasn't exactly how he would handle it, but he says, it's not often that all members of a cell make it out of an operation alive, and how it's rarely happened for him, so you have his respect. And that ends tonight's scenario, a victim of the art. You each receive $500 to your bank accounts Yay. for your op bonus and rewards for learning the secret of the eye upper slash night gaunts. You each gain 1d6 sand. <laughs> For exposing the exposing the mole within Delta Green, you gain another one D six Sam. It's a five. Okay. And that's a four. And for everyone making it out alive, even with HG King being brought ever so close <laughs> to death. I nearly, away. I nearly got dragged away. <laughs> that was fun. You each gain 1d4 sand. 1d4. Yay, oh. everyone yeah. lives. Oh, get yeah. oh. oh, We could have let the cup go and we could have made it out of there without fighting these fucking things. Jesus <laughs> Christ. You earn 1d10 skill points. Actually, sorry, 2d6 skill points, and you may assign them as you please. God damn it. Well, I suppose I should, should spend that 12 in draw, uh, drive order, shouldn't I? I got a 5. That's now. a 5, and that is a 3, so that's 8. Lovely. So 8 is not bad. 5 is still not bad. If you put it in like something like firearms, it will definitely help. Ugh. And finally... You each receive 1d6 points of Cthulhu Mythos skill. That's a one. Well, that's some big money for this one. That's a five. That's a four. Oh, better than nothing. Finally, you may each make a luck check. And if you fail, if you are below 30 luck, add 2d6 luck. And if you're above 30, um. add 1d6. God damn, I'm at 33. That's rude. Uh, and I failed big fail. time. I failed big time. So 1d6, you said? Yep. 
And that's a two. Well, that's just grand. I'll I'm, let you that's... take another one, DC. No, 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 I'm All going right. with the rules. All right. Up to 40 again. Well, not again. Uh, I was down, down a lot, but yeah. Yes. Up to 40. Your luck is slowly running out, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, what did you do? Did you pass your so, checks with the... So I have 44 luck and I rolled a 46. Okay, <laughs> so you just failed. failed. <laughs> so 1d6 luck for you. Oh. Take it, take it, take it. I will take it. I'm just not used to having it like this. Uh. And then, with that, just as it did last time, your life returns to a veneer of normality. Bullshit! You settle once... <laughs> once again to your normal roles in the FBI, except this time, this time something feels different. You cannot... Let yourselves fall once again into that lull of everyday mundane activity because you've seen things you never could have imagined. And for some reason, it feels as if as if you're not alive until you receive your next invitation to the opera. Thus concludes episode three, A Victim of the Art. Thank you everyone for joining us tonight and... Two weeks from now, don't forget to tune in again for episode four, the halfway point of the campaign, The Source and the End, where oh. our agents trapped for are forced to survive the night in a rural town under siege from mythos monsters. It's going to be an it's going to be an action-packed survival or a bloodbath. No. And we hope, you'll, we hope you will tune in and see who makes it through the meat grinder. Oh, yay. All the stats I don't have, all in one episode. Congratulations. Oh, we die. And so, uh, until next time, remember, in the words of Nox Smolder, the truth is near.